Hello and welcome to Media May, the show in which we year by year explore the movies, music, and TV that most invaded our lives. I'm your host, Rod Kwando, and I am joined by... A one-star Michelin chef, Jess. You're more than... I don't know. I don't know oh, how they... I have no stars. <laughs> I am starless. You're a uh, HelloFresh is... approved. <laughs> we oh. don't say that on this. Yeah, we don't... We, we heartily do not endorse HelloFresh. <laughs> it does not work for uh, yeah. my one-star Michelin capability sensibilities but uh hello welcome to the show if you're new here's what we do uh we this is a movie episode we talk movies music and tv uh we've looked at a list of every movie released in the year 2004 and we uh, we've determined which one each of us had watched the most in our lives not our favorite necessarily the one we watched the most of it most invaded our life exactly you put it so well it's like it's a script and it's a new year for Media Made. It's 2004. And as always, I ask, where were you in the year 2004? I think I was taking practice at ACTs. Oh, yeah? No, that's way too early, right? Well, you're like a junior or a I sophomore? I should be a junior. Sophomore? I think I'm a sophomore. I might be a sophomore. It depends on what what the date is. Is it It's like... 2004, so... It, you... Is End of one school year, start exactly. of another. Exactly. So uh, probably sophomore, junior. junior. You're four, 15. You're 15. Yeah, sophomore. Sophomore. Yeah, sophomore. Okay. Sophomore. Right, right, sophomore. Right. I went to middle school. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's funny, like that transition from elementary school to middle school in 2004 coincided with uh, what we determined when we looked at the list of every movie. Um, it it coincided with my transition away from children's films almost yep. completely. Yep. One movie did it. <laughs> Do you remember what movie that was? You're like, I'm out. I'm out, my guy. Uh, I should remember because you said the title two days ago, but I've got a bad memory. It was Teacher's Pet. Oh, yeah. The Was it a Disney Channel cartoon made I into a film? I think it was film? Nickelodeon. No, no, it was Disney Channel. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. And... I hate, like, I hated it. I remember, I, I, I have not seen it in 20 years, but I... We can fix that. No. <laughs> I didn't like it back then, and I think that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back. I said, mm. I am, I think I'm done with kids' movies. And uh, the movie, my movie this year is not a kids' movie. It's a, like a teen movie, I guess. Mm. A tween? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. You could say that. It's, it's a mostly teen. But yeah. Yeah. Um... Middle school. <laughs> that was a time. Middle school. It was, you know, lost friends, gained new friends, learned a little bit about myself. <laughs> <laughs> was grumpy. I wasn't grumpy. I was bullied. Oh. Yeah. Grumpy is in high school? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Probably the bully, you know, a result of the bullying. That's fair. Bullies, bullying does make grumps and oh, yeah, other things. It, yeah, it was rough. Yeah. Middle school was rough, and I think most people have Agreed. that experience. <laughs> if middle school wasn't rough for me for you, you were the problem. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna say um, my theory on on middle school: children in general, children are not human beings until middle school. Then they become human beings, and they gain all the cruelty, straight in. and inhibition of a human being. But they, they haven't gained how to socially, you know, uh, mm. manage those things, you know, and be a productive, considerate person in society. There are exceptions to this rule. So that's why middle schoolers are the cruelest, meanest, <laughs> more judgmental. What's uh, not passionate, but uh, they act on emotion 
Yeah, that's fair. What's the word for that? Uh, impulsive? Impulsive. <laughs> we all experienced it. It was horrible. It is. Um, that being said, I love working with middle school kids. There you go. They're so much fun. <laughs> As an adult. As another middle schooler. Not at all. Yeah, so uh, middle school is hard, but uh, movies like my movie of 2004 helped me get through it. Aww. I was watching anime and reading books in my... I'm going to be saying that for years. I know I said that last episode, but literally that this is the time of my life when I have all the free time I want and I'm just reading books and watching anime. And watching... Uh, and watching sad, melodramatic yeah, dramedies. <laughs> Speaking of dramedies, let's jump into your movie, I suppose. Is it a dramedy? Would so. you say there's comedy in this? Yeah. It stars a comic... That does not mean it's comedic. He does some comedy. We quote, com there are comedic scenes in here. Okay. To lighten the mood. All right. I, I'm going to disagree with the dramedy and just call it a droom, a melodrama. What is that movie? Released December 17th, 2004. Written and directed by James L. Brooks. Starring Taya Leone, Pas Vega, Cloris Leachman, and Adam Sandler. That is... Spanglish. Varios, varias. Several. Several. Again. Several. Good. Several. Demasiadas. Too many. Too many. Too many. Right. Too many. <laughs> That's, for some reason, the part of this movie we quote the most in yep. our day-to-day -day life. Yep. Several. <laughs> Several. Too Several. many. Too many. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, we got we got open with that clip, right? Yeah, absolutely. The rest of the clips are all like kind of just serious. <laughs> so what the heck is Spanglish? Tell me about it. Uh, Spanglish is a movie about a woman who immigrates from Mexico to America with her young daughter and uh, lives in probably East L.A. for like six years. Yeah. And then um, her daughter starts maturing uh, and she's like, nah, I need a I need a single job that doesn't keep me out of the house at night because uh, kids be getting in trouble. And she keep an uh, eye becomes, on daughter. yeah, and she becomes a uh, housekeeper. Basically, yeah, a live in housekeeper. Uh, not at first. OK, she becomes a housekeeper for a rich family and Beverly Hills over the summer. They go. uh Malibu and then she becomes a live-in so it's basically about a woman um who is it's made in Manhattan except in Malibu <laughs> made in Malibu <laughs> but the rich white people are even crazier uh yes yeah so it's just a yeah it's a it's a story about a woman doing her best for her family which is um her her daughter it's about and it's all told in uh the perspective of the daughter writing a letter a, to college. a personal statement. Personal statement. Do kids still have to do that? I think so. Hmm. We'll talk about that bit a little bit later. But yeah, it's you know it's about a a maid in Los Angeles, you know, experiencing life, love, and the pursuit of happiness. I guess. Oh, sure. <laughs> and just frustration. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, why why did you watch this movie so much? Uh, I liked it. <laughs> Remember the first time you saw it? No, but it was probably on HBO. Uh, I don't know. It's, I think it, it's really hard to answer this question when you ask because it's just like, because I liked it. I, I, uh, very rarely, oh gosh, we're getting to 2005. Well, there are there movies that I watched that is the movie I watched a lot because other people forced me into it. Mm -hmm. And um, this is just like, I even like sitting, 
for the same reasons I like Life as a House, right? Like when we were sitting it's watching it. It's similar to this, yeah. Mm -hmm. Better though. <laughs> it, you know, it's kind of like Life as a House mixed with Made in Manhattan. Yeah. Like in a blender, you know? Yeah, I guess it makes sense, but it's better than both of those movies. Yes. Well, I really love Life as a House. I think it's better than both those movies. Okay, well, that's fair. Um, higher budget. <laughs> and I just... I don't know. It made me feel things. And even upon this last watch, uh, I was like, I turned to you. I was like, I'm emotional. <laughs> it's just an emotional movie. It's heavy. Like, there were some heavy moments. Yeah. For sure. And I think it's really, um, I know we were watching and you were like, I don't relate to any of these people. And I was like, I relate to all of them. And I related to them differently when I was watching this. And I don't think I watched it in 2004. I'm pretty sure I watched it in like 2006 or seven. Like, I related to it when I watched it for the first time as a, a teen. Um, related to it in my mid-20s. I relate to it differently even now in my um, mid-30s. I'm mid-30s, kids. So why did why did you watch this movie so much? Because of you. I, never, <laughs> I, I had heard of this movie at the time. I, and um, I think an, there's an Adam Sandler in my runner-up, right? Yes. So, like, I knew, like, I, I was a casual Adam Sandler fan. My at family liked, like, my whole family, we liked Big Daddy, mm -hmm. Reno. And Fifty First Dates, which yeah. I think actually came out the same year as this it one. Did. Yeah. So spoilers for runners up, but um, so having been exposed to uh, 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 Adam Sandler movies, I knew of this movie. I just didn't watch it, and I mm -hmm. think this might be one of those movies that like my mom and sister like rented at Blockbuster mm -hmm. and watched while like I was in the house, but I just didn't care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, I wasn't old enough to care about movies like this. Well, that's it. Oh, I was like, <laughs> I was what? like that's it. Give me more of your history. No, that's it. You and weren't we old enough it. to care. Do you feel? Do you feel like now you're old enough to care? Yeah, <laughs> I relate to some of these. Like, I, I was like, there are some characters that are like so rich and, <laughs> <laughs> that I was like, I have no idea how to relate to this person. But yeah, I can relate to the two lead. You know, the two lead characters. Yeah, you know, and the children. You related to the son a lot. You talked about that. <laughs> what son? <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel seen. <laughs> I can talk about how this movie was made, though. All right. Spanglish was written and directed by James L. Brooks, whose prolific career had already spanned nearly 40 years by the time this movie was released. Oh, 40? 40. Dang. By 2004, Brooks was known as the creator of television series like Room 222, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Rhoda, Taxi, and The Tracy Ullman Show, as well as the main producer on The Simpsons. And as the writer-director of the following films, 1983's Terms of Endearment, 1987's Broadcast News, 1994's I'll Do Anything, and 1997's As Good As It Gets, which was co-written by Mark Andrews, who also wrote, do you know, we talked about it. Made in Manhattan. Life is a house. <laughs> Are you sure? It had to be one of them. They were very, they, like, they're similar. Yeah, so we, I mean... Mark Andrews had nothing to do with Spanglish. Yeah. But. Has worked with him. He's worked with James L. Brooks. And mm -hmm. James L. Brooks, uh, we talked a little bit about As Good As It Gets in uh, our 2001 movies episode. Right, right, right. Uh, as th that movie, As Good As It Gets, was a critical and commercial success. It won several Oscars. Mm -hmm. Made a lot of money. <laughs> and anticipation was high for Brooks' follow-up film. And that follow-up film would take seven years to make. Oh, wow. So th there was a lot of like built-up anticipation for Spanglish. Yeah. A lot of uh, expectations on it. That film would become to be known as Spanglish. Yeah. A story of a Mexican immigrant who arrives in Los Angeles looking for love and money. I don't... 
That was a direct quote from the the LA Times, by the way, or whatever. Or, I don't think she was looking for love. That, I, I, I know. Actively, actively, she was not looking for. I love. know, I know, but that's what the LA Times said when LA they like, Times, previewed you're wrong. this. Looking for love and money. Incre- love and money. That's what it said. Wow. <laughs> well, okay. She does need. She lives in California. She does need the money, but she, but saying it like that sounds like Gold Digger Central. Yeah, this makes it sound like Manhattan when it's not. She also wasn't looking for love and money. I know, but like that's clearly a romantic comedy. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. not so much a romantic comedy, mm-hmm. even though it has romance and comedy in it. That's not the focus. No. Do you think that if somebody looked at our lives and they wrote a small synopsis about it, they would say? Moved to the Inland Empire looking for love and money. I didn't move. I was here already. I moved. I found love and money. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Too many. Brooks conducted extensive research to accurately write the film's main character, which is good. I'm glad he did Mm -hmm. that. He's a a noted perfectionist. Okay. So uh, I'm sure he was taking the script very seriously. Yeah. That's why it took so long. He contacted Christy Haubegger, then publisher of Latina Magazine, who helped him interview dozens of Los Angeles women who spoke only Spanish. Oh. Which is really cool. That is really cool. And here's an interesting point. Some brought along their bilingual daughters, inspiring Brooks to give his character a daughter who would serve as her interpreter. Mm. So the daughter character in the movie was inspired by real women he interviewed. Yeah. Huh. That's really cool. Spanish actress Paz Vega was cast in the film's lead. She could not speak or understand English when the filming began. Uh, and an interpreter was brought on set during filming so that she could communicate with the director. That's good. That's important. Sorry, just want to backpedal real quick. Um, if the daughter wasn't originally in the idea for the script, I would hate this movie. Because then it is just like, oh, we hired my, my wife hired somebody to work for us and I fell in love. That's trash. That's an Arnold Schwarzenegger story. That's the, is that the nanny? Oh, <laughs> I th- sorry. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger did have an affair um, with his housekeeper. Many people do. Here's the point. Bad. Not a good movie. Would not be on this list. Would have maybe not even finished watching it. You may continue. Oh, I, well, I knew that Pas Vega was Spanish, mm-hmm. like from Spain, mm-hmm. uh, when we watched it together this latest time. Yeah. So I was like trying to listen for any Castilian because... If you have an ear for it, Spanish people talk different than you know Mexican folks. Right, like they're 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 regionality. Just, yeah, their yeah. their accents are different. Mm-hmm. Just like you know, someone from the UK would speak differently than we would. Um, I didn't. I don't have the best ear for Spanish, so I didn't quite hear it when she was speaking Spanish. But when she says certain words in English, when I was capturing clips, I was like, that woman's from Spain. <laughs> you know, she has the lisp. Mm. Gosh, that that must be so wild. That to just like, I mean, I know we had talked about this and maybe you'll say his more history about her, but she was, uh, she, uh, she was a pretty prolific actress. In yes. Yeah. She was known for like TV and, and, and films, at, you know, at the mm-hmm. time, like he saw her in a, like a well-respected film from Spain mm-hmm. that got a lot of awards, uh, like, like international awards. Right. And so he decided to cast her because of that. We'll talk more about the performances a little later, but okay. I, I like, she is a good actress. Yeah. Sure. She's really, really good. But I think even like I was, she was working, so it wasn't just like, "Hey, I got a job for you in America. Want to come?" Like she was an actress, so I could see like taking the job and being like, "Oh yeah," but like it is wild to just be like, "I don't speak any of the language here, 
Let's go work. It helps her performance because her character does also, also does not speak or understand English. Yeah. So she, this woman was learning English at the same time her character was. Yeah. Like probably she, at the same pace. She was just doing her best to, I think that's, and we'll talk about it in the movie, but like some of the best moments were literally like, you could tell that she, she knew it was her turn to do something, but she was literally in the middle of a bunch of people saying their lines in English and probably messing up and doing it over again. And then somebody be like, all right, come on, come on, let's, let's go, let's go. And she just, oh, it's time now. She's so confused. Yeah. Um, but playing on it, not just being like, oh, right, this is my cue. Like, she's just like, uh, this confusion is real and I'm going to let it feed into my, she's really good. It was really good. Brooks decided to cast comedian Adam Sandler as the co-lead after seeing him in 2002's Punch Drunk Love. I had not seen that movie. It's a Paul Thomas Anderson joint. Mm -hmm. Uh, generally he, he's known for, uh, like heady dramas. Like, uh, he did There Will Be Blood, Magnolia. You know, Phantom Thread, The Master. Like, they're very dense, hard, you know, I've never dramas. seen any of those movies, but of what I know of them, what? <laughs> Impenetrable sometimes. Yeah. But he did a romant, like, pseudo-romantic comedy called Punch Drug Love. And I've heard people go back and watch it, and the idea is, like, Adam Sandler just plays the typical Adam Sandler guy. Mm -hmm. You know, like, the, the doofus, like, Happy Gilmore, who... You know, he's bipolar or something, and he's mm -hmm. like, he gets animated and, and angry. But everyone else in the movie plays it straight. Ah. So no one's playing along. It's just like this toxic person that's Ooh. just Adam Sandler playing type. Uh, and they're having to pick up the pieces because he's just destroying his life. Oh, I don't like that. Yeah, that so, sounds not like a romantic comedy. It sounds interesting. Um, so, and Adam said that was his first dramatic role, mm -hmm. and he pulled it off. And I guess. James L. Brooke was like, I want that guy. Okay. And Adam Sandler's a good actor. Yeah. Like, like if anyone says he's not a good actor, you're wrong. He has proven it time and time again that mm -hmm. he's really good at acting. You don't have to like his movies. Yeah, yeah. He makes bad movies sometimes, <laughs> like with his friends. You know, like those, those those Netflix movies, they're not good. Yeah. Like, and that's kind of like, that's his role sometimes mm -hmm. is just to like make gross out dumb comedies. Mm -hmm. But like whenever he does a dramatic role, he always pulls it off. Yeah, agreed. He's going to win an Oscar one day. I know it's going to happen. Yeah, I think that I've seen, I, like, I saw Click once and I will never watch it again. Oh, no, I don't want to watch Click. Huh? Don't watch Click. Why? It's bad. Okay, so I saw Click once and I'll never watch it again, but I, he does a really good job in it, right? Like, it's it's got those stupid different things, but the moments where he's like, realizing that he's losing his family at the moment like he delivers he delivers very well so like as much as the movie is all over the place and dumb and well in those moments i was like oh yeah this hurts this one hurts i'm heard, not gonna do that one again i've heard people really like uncut gems which i haven't seen yet but uh, like, I i've heard either. like that's like perhaps his greatest performance yet adam sandler movie night maybe one day <laughs> hollywood legend ann bancroft was cast as the character evelyn which is a. Uh, Adam Sandler's character, his mother-in-law. Yeah. Uh, grandma, basically. Yep. But after four weeks of shooting, Bancroft had to bow out to undergo a minor surgery for an undisclosed problem. Oh. Another Hollywood legend, Cloris Leachman, stepped in as a replacement. And in doing so, Brooks said she asked, quote, why didn't you just hire me in the first place? <laughs> so. I mean... Fair's fair. Yeah, so we we had we had two Hollywood legends in this movie playing the same character for a while. Oh wow! So, yeah, and 
Cloris Leachman is who you see in the final film. Mm -hmm. But apparently they shot four weeks with Anne Bancroft. Who's Anne Bancroft? They're they're all from like the old, you know, old Hollywood days. You know, they're like all classic Betty Hollywood. White. They're all Betty White. I mean, they're probably, yeah, they're like uh, contemporaries with Betty White. But they were like doing, you know, uh, I think Anne Bancroft was in uh, The Graduate. You know? Oh, that one where at the end they leave a wedding? I've never seen The Graduate. Okay. Anne Bancroft's a pretty lady. Taya Leone, who played Adam, who plays Adam Sandler's wife in the movie, reportedly said, quote, the whole dynamic was changed. I had to figure out who I was all over again because she's like riffing on her mother's character. Right, like right, Taya right. Leone right. Is, and, and, and then, uh, of course, Cloris Leachman stepped in to play her mom. Mm -hmm. But she had been acting opposite a different woman playing her mom. Yeah. So she had to like change it. That's interesting. I would like to see like the, the raws of that. Yeah. <laughs> Just because like. Uh, the wife's character is so like what? What did it look like before you changed it? Because the lines manic. are all the same. Yeah, but like I mean, in the movie, uh, Taylor character, she finds like security in her mom sometimes, and also they're like super sarcastic to each other. So I don't know how Anne Bancroft played it. Honestly, yeah, was she as sarcastic? I yeah, I like now. I want to go back and like how else could you read these lines? Uh, anyway, interesting. Filming for Spanglish took six months, ending in June 2004. The film reportedly went months over schedule and millions over budget. Wow. Sony initially financed the film for a $75 million budget, but costs rose to an estimated $100 million. For what reason? Brooks is a perfectionist. Ah. Uh, Infamous. Well. He often shot scenes in 15 to 25 takes. That sounds horrible. I can't even understand the language. What do you mean 15 takes? Like legitimately, I think him and Tay Leone had issues because they just kept doing scenes over mm. and over again. And I was listening or and I was reading interviews with James L. Brooks uh, regarding this movie, like old interviews from around this time. And even before the movie came out, he was telling reporters, yeah, I, I, I kind of don't know how this movie is supposed to come together. <laughs> Oh, I, wow. Like, I don't know where I want the story to go. I'm kind of just doing it, like, just playing it by ear and just seeing what works and what feels right. Um, that so, doesn't sound like a perfectionist. Oh, wait, Tay Leone said. No, no, no. James L. Brooks did. <laughs> he's a perfectionist, but, like, he doesn't know what he wants. So oh. he's just, like... Trying every shoe on until he finds the right one. Yes. And, but... the Yeah. That sounds... Awful. Yep, and I think that's why this movie is kind of unwieldy at times. You I know, love it's this like movie. So many ideas thrown at the wall. It's a very dense movie, and it's trying to do a lot. Do you think that's why the the young boy was cut out because uh, he was just like, I don't what what? Maybe it's just they cast a little boy, and then halfway through he's like, this little boy's not important. Why did we cast him? Yeah, he probably had like a big part and stuff, but then we kept changing the spaghetti on the wall. Maybe three days of reshoots took place in October two thousand four. Two months before release, dang, Brooks reportedly filmed three different endings for the film as he did not feel the film was totally complete. What? Can we go find a DVD and see if the endings are on the... I never watched special features. They might, yeah, I don't know if they what have they, like, if alternate they probably, takes. If, they're, if they publish them, they'll be on YouTube somewhere. They I'm might. Look. Yeah. We, if, if we find them, we will post them on Twitter. Yes. As long as Twitter if exists. Twitter Or what's the new one? Blue Sky? Blue Sky, uh, maybe when that one releases to the public. Mm. Not Threads. I'm not going. You're <laughs> not, you won't find us on Threads. You will not find us on Threads. Unless it's ThreadUp. Sponsor us. I will wear your clothes. But that is all I got for Spanglish. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs>
that was that was that was uh, a very interactive history lesson. It was. It was. Um, so I captured a lot of clips. I'm looking at my clips like clips. I have a lot of them. We're not going to play them all. But I, I think it goes to show how like how many things this movie's trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think James L. Brooks's script has a lot of ideas, and he's touching on everything from like the immigrant experience, um, you know, social ish, you know, social class differences, yeah, uh, family issues, marriage, children, professional anxiety, yeah, uh, generational divides, yeah. And he does a decent job juggling all those ideas, but at sometimes it feels like some things just get forgotten, mm-hmm. or they like they the just, sun. <laughs> yeah, they just don't land sometimes. Um, and it's, I will say, because this movie's so dense, it was incredibly difficult to figure out a way to like organize our discussion like we typically do. We try to do it by topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These things inter- intersect everything with each other, so. We're going to do our best. Mm-hmm. And this might just be like a off the cuff conversation for mm-hmm. most of it. It's just like as things come up, I will play clips the best I can. Yeah. Might be a schizophrenic episode this time. I don't say that. I would definitely encourage you kids to watch the movie. I know we always tell you to do that, but this is one of those ones that you should you should definitely like give a watch so that when we're talking about it, you under like even if you talk about watch it after we talk about it, so you can kind of like get the sense. It is dense. It is dense. Also, if you haven't watched Life as a House, go back and watch that. Yeah. So um, I, I got some plot clips. They're titled, labeled plot. <laughs> like just said, the movie is framed uh, and narrated by the main character's daughter, mm-hmm. Christina. Christina. Christina, when she is a uh, young adult, mm-hmm. is applying to college, and she wrote her personal statement about like the person, like her hero or something, mm-hmm. person who had the biggest impact in her yeah, life. Yeah, yeah. So she's writing about her mom, and she's writing about her experiences with her mom moving to the states, and then the movie. Yeah, the <laughs> so, movie. Like the all the experiences in the movie are narrated by an old Christina. Mm-hmm. Old, <laughs> older. She's like 18, maybe. Yeah. Whereas in the in the movie proper, she's 12. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I have some plot stuff. And so the narration is going to be Christina talking about her mom. What's her mom's name? Flor. Flor. <laughs> <laughs> Got to roll those R's. Flor. Flor. In order to raise me properly, my mother needed as much of the security of her own culture as possible. So we rolled through Texas. Just 34% Hispanic. Adios, Texas. To Los Angeles. 48% Hispanic. And uh, they show uh, Flor mm-hmm. and Christina getting off the bus from Texas, mm-hmm. stepping into, look like Wilshire Boulevard or something. Yes. Uh, what happens? Uh, they walk down a street where there are a lot of white people white starbucks drinkers (laughs) they're just brunching on this day and they're walking through the streets of uh los angeles carrying uh rolly bags and and then they turn a quarter and they're in the barrio yes (laughs) so like the joke i don't know if this is a joke or it's kind of like played for laughs but it's like one block away and they're back in mexico yeah you know so uh floor doesn't even need to learn english because she's surrounded by a community you know of, of spanish speakers so yeah She's able to just thrive mm-hmm. in East LA or wherever. Yeah, she uh, moves in. They move in with her cousin. She gets a job. She gets 
three works, jobs. Yeah, she like works a night job at a, a a dry cleaning place. Yeah, she has several jobs. They uh, did you get the did you get the quick clip about what she makes monetarily? It's like four hundred fifty dollars a week, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I I think I have the clip. Like it's when she decides she needs more money. Yeah. Well, no, it's even before this. So it's like my mom. Uh, we went to like uh. We were back in Mexico. We were doing this. My mom did all these things to support me. She worked three jobs, making $450 a week. Doing three jobs in California. Yep. $450 a week. That is crime. I feel like the the whole uh, immigrant experience really doesn't get touched on too much in, um, other than in the, the, the intro here. Yeah. You know? I think there's more, there's more to talk about. Mm-hmm. It, it just doesn't get said in this movie. Yeah. And I think that's like... Why is it works because of the framing, right? Because she, uh, Christina does mention that in her over her speak over, her talk over, whatever it's called, um, and saying because uh, this personal statement is on public ref- record, uh, we had a rough entry, right? And they like entered illegally, illegally, yeah. Um, but I think that it was smart to allude to it and not to touch too much on it because this was researched and written by a white man and that is not an experience that is not a story he gets to tell true so like tangentially like hey this happens and this is what happened to these characters but that is not this story uh and that's important (laughs) and at the time this movie was written i think it was a hot button issue Mm. illegal immigration you know from mexico so he was touching on like you know issues of the day Mm -hmm. which unfortunately are also issues of today yeah so um, I, I think he wanted to say stuff and I think he wanted to make this character the focus of his story mm-hmm. uh, because of debates happening yeah. on the news at the time. That makes sense. But it took him seven years to write this. So, yeah, it's been debates the whole time. Life don't change. That's true. For the next six years, neither of us ventured outside our new community. Mom worked two jobs paying a total of $450 a week. Each of us doing everything we could to make things work. We were safe and happy. There you go. Four fifty for two jobs. Two jobs. Well, it's definitely better than three. Still. But still. Yeah. And she works nights at the laundromat or at the mm-hmm. dry cleaning place. And that's why she doesn't get to spend as much time with Christina as she wants to. Yeah. So when Christina blossoms, yeah. <laughs> uh, Flora realizes that she needs to keep a better eye on her daughter. Yeah. If only I could have stayed six, but I was blossoming. And during my very first dance, in the time it took a boy's hand to go from my back to my bottom, it was evident that she would have to leave her night job to keep a watchful eye on me. Within days, she was on her way to a job interview. She needed $450 from one job. And that meant, after all her time in America, finally entering a foreign land. And that foreign land is Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills. That's where the rich people be. Mr. Quieto. <laughs> this intro, uh, from this point forward, we're going to, you know, we're going to kind of talk about the characters and stuff like that. And I'm going to introduce uh, uh, Floor's employers Mm -hmm. but i want to use this as an opportunity to also talk about their performances a bit more Mm -hmm. um vega plays floor she um i i see the training she got in spain right you know i don't want to stereotype but i feel like some spanish entertainment is a lot more animated especially comedies right 
Like they, it's almost cartoonish sometimes in the way they act in comedies, you know? Mm -hmm. And Paz brings that to Floor a little bit. Like in the intro, like when Floor needs to like express like surprise or uh, grief, she gets real, she uses her face a lot. It's mm -hmm. a lot of facial acting, you know? Like overly dramatic. Sometimes, like they, they, that in that last clip, right? Mm -hmm. She's watching her daughter Christina dance with a little boy. Yeah. And the little boy, like, you know, takes his hand and lowers it to touch her butt. Yeah. <laughs> and Floor, like, goes, <gasps> like, and really scrunches her face up, mm -hmm. you know? So it's very animated. And I think that's a benefit for the movie. I, I also, okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's a benefit. I am going to disagree with you that saying that that is like, just an actor thing because that's a hundred percent a cultural thing, right? Like not like I'm over because I think right like um American like sitcoms and comedies do that, right? Like it just kind of depends on like what you're you're watching, like freaking Disney Channel shows always like that, True. but also like uh two and a half dogs, whatever that call that thing is called. Uh, and like they're you know overacting, just kind of depends on where you're at or what genre you're doing, but. Uh, thinking about my Spanish friends, um, like it wasn't, I don't think it was necessarily overacting. I think about like how I've seen like moms act when their kids are doing stuff True. in real life. And that's how, that's how it is. And I'm not going to say it's just like my like Spanish or Latin friends because like I see my sisters do this. <laughs> like I see, I, it, I think it just really depends um, in general. So I think that it's even more not like, oh, like, this is, like, where she's coming from. It's like, this is super genuine. Like, no, this is, like, such good acting because 100% that is the reaction. Like, I've done that. Like, if I've, like, from afar seen one of the children that I've raised, um, you saw this, fl getting flirted with. Like, I feel like you saw me at one point. I'd be like, is that boy talking to my girl? I'm going over there. I, yeah, you know. I get it. There's a, I don't have a clip for it, but uh, early in the movie, it shows a, a scene from the past where, uh, f f Christina's father, I don't think they were married. They le He leaves them. Yeah. And so Flor, being the strong, independent woman she is, like s says to herself, I'm not going to cry in front of my daughter. Yeah, that so part. So she walks outside and like cries, and it's very overactive. Yeah, that part. Yeah, 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 yeah. See? That part is... He yeah, but the parts that you were saying, I was just like, no, that, that feels natural. That part, yeah. That part, yeah. That Absolutely. Felt, that felt like Spanish soap opera. Mm -hmm. Which is fine, because that was kind of like maybe the the vibe where they were going for. Yeah. But she does, she acts a lot with her face. Like you said, mm -hmm. there's a lot of like reaction shots. And I think you're right. Um, it's, it's evident that Pas Vega, like sometimes didn't understand the yeah. scene where it was going, you know, yeah. if, especially if characters were like ad libbing, like mm -hmm. I, I'm sure Adam Sandler is a bit of a improver. That would be horrible to work with. <laughs> and she's like, huh? Huh? You know? Yeah. I mean, not horrible to work with, but horrible to work with if you don't understand the language. So Flor and her cousin, who's acting as her interpreter mm -hmm. in this first scene, uh, they she has an interview with a family who's looking for a housekeeper. Yep. Do you remember the name of that family? Yep. What is it? Oh, I'll let you say it because I've seen the movie many times. So <laughs> It's the Klaskis. Mm-hmm. The, the Klaski Chupos. <laughs> not the Chupos. <laughs> now, she goes to the Klaski residence, and uh, I, I have a clip introducing the Klaskis. This is from later in the movie, mm -hmm. but it was better than any of the other introductions because yep, at least fair. they named the characters. Come on out and meet everybody. Bernie, I'm Deborah, <laughs> and this is my daughter, Bernice. Hi. Hi. And uh, here's Georgie. 
And my mother, Evelyn Wright. So we got uh, Deborah, mm -hmm. who played by Taya Leone. Yep. Uh, who is this movie's Karen. Yes. <laughs> we were asking ourselves, is she a Karen? Yeah. She is, in many ways, a Los Angeles suburbanite uh, stereotype. Mm-hmm. Anal retensive. Yep. Anxiety-ridden. Yep. Lazy. Yeah. Hyperactive. She's got... She needs therapy. She needs therapy. Like, obsessed with, like, uh, fitness. Like, not, not obsessed, but, like... She takes fitness very seriously. Or, oh, are we fully talking about this character? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to, like, that. we will save clips for later. Okay, okay, okay. When we talk about her relationships with the people in her life. Mm -hmm. But one she, Taylor only rocks in this role. Oh, yeah. She, in, she kills it. In some ways, like, I think she's more of a main character with, like, growth and, like, uh, relatable issues than Adam Sandler's character, who we'll meet later. Yeah. Um, she's definitely the antagonist. Uh, in a lot of ways uh, in this movie and she is she's a lot she's a lot for everyone in her family and herself she has um, issues communicating and wants everyone to get on her page she says this often uh, and is very self-absorbed and I think in today's terms we would we would refer to her as a narcissist she is totally a narcissist yes and, and she she just talks. She's just chat, 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 chat. I have, yeah. I have one more clip with Deborah alone. <laughs> okay, let's let's just talk. Que platiquemos. Well, I have two children, and my husband is a chef, a top chef. Like that makes me something. Anyway, uh, he works nights. So, uh, do you work? Yes. No, not right now. Why? Well, how do you know to ask that? Well, well, it's okay. I mean, I can talk about it. I just I helped run a commercial design company up until four months ago, and it was downsized to Zip, and now I'm a full time mom. Gulp. Double gulp. <laughs> Anyway, I have two children. My son, George, is nine. Bernie, you know. And I like the house. I like the house to be like me, you know. And then I am. I'm very loose and meticulous, you know, at the same time. But it's all about first names and closeness here. Let her know, absolutely. But I do care about the place. I'm so sorry I'm not leaving you time to translate. I like the house loose, but meticulous at the same time. It's like me. She doesn't know what she wants. What is she, Gen Z? Oh, she's, uh... Did I said Z? X? <laughs> she might be a Gen X. Yeah, Boomer. Yeah, yeah. You know, the late she's boomer. she's a lot. She's like you a can lot. even tell in that that thing. Like she had. I wonder what she was like before she lost her job because I can I can bet at that age, two kids, both uh, parents working, able to put their kids into like expensive schools and afford a lot. And now she's like, I'm left to my own device. I am now idle rich. Uh, midlife, midlife crisis. So I could see, I like, I wonder how she directed that energy when she worked. I could see her office being wildly unmanageable, which is probably why they uh, went out of business. But like, she has a lot, she has a lot of thoughts and feelings and nowhere to put them. So she just lets them in the air by talking about them. And she like does not I think at the same time it's like she wants to express her emotions but she literally does not care about anyone else's responses to them. She yeah. just wants to get them out. That's why like we keep saying she needs to go to therapy cuz she yeah. needs to get these things out. But like the people in her life like like her kids and her mom and her husband? Her husband, her her housekeeper, yeah. like they're not there to like necessarily listen to her issues and like just let her get them out like they're people too. Yeah. And she doesn't realize that. Yeah. And it, she doesn't just get her emotions out. She then follows up by having to justify why she's in the right. Like, yeah. 
you know, because of what the, because it, you are right to have whatever emotional reaction you have to anything, but how you allow those to affect your actions uh, is not something someone has to put up with. But she's like, no, because I feel this, it's fine that I do this. And that's problematic. She's self-absorbed. She's manipulative. Um, and I think li like later in the movie, you learn that it's like, oh, she learned this from her mom as well. Yeah. So her mom. Uh, not the best of role models. Evelyn Wright is her name. I mm -hmm. think she like the story. The backstory is she's like an aged movie star of some kind. Mm -hmm. A celebrity. Uh, yeah, a music, not... Oh, a musician, okay. Yeah. So she uh, was a singer. singer. Yeah, a lounge singer. She teaches her uh, grandson songs. So it's like a Mommy Dearest situation where uh, uh, Evelyn Wright probably wasn't the best mom to uh, Deborah, you know, and hurt people hurt people. Yeah. <laughs> so Deborah be is becoming her mom in a way. Yeah, yeah. And now her mom's just a day drunk. Yeah, I think it's interesting because Deborah uh, swings the other way because obviously, you'll, what you see through the movie, right, like... um. Deborah was neglected by her mom. And so now in uh good on good old fashion, I'm not gonna be my parents uh turnabout. She's Deborah is way too involved with her kids, uh, but does not have a, a healthy attachment style. So it's no. it's well, I'm here, I'm doing all these things. Uh, whether you want them or not, because yeah. my mother didn't kind of thing. We'll talk about her relationship with her kids soon. Okay. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot. She this has two kids. She has Georgie and Bernie. Mm -hmm. uh, Georgie is uh, insignificant. <laughs> this is true. Bernie is my favorite character in this movie. <laughs> Georgie gets uh, fridged. Yeah. <laughs> she gets thrown in the fridge and well, forgotten. He gets she... thrown. He, he gets thrown in the fridge and forgotten. But Bernie, Bernice. Mm -hmm. Great character. Great. She's little, so Little sweet. actress played by uh, Sarah Steele. Mm -hmm. She's great. Yeah, I've seen all, all stuff. most of the kids in this movie. Like I, There's my, three that's the thing. Georgie is like, you know, I can't gauge him on his acting because he doesn't do anything. But yeah. uh, Bernice and little Christina, great, 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 great little actresses. Wonderful. So we'll, we'll talk about Deborah and her relationship with her kids mm -hmm. soon. Okay. Uh, let's meet the last member of the family who we haven't heard from yet, but that is member's name. Mm -hmm. What is it? John. John Klasky. I didn't know Deb found somebody. You uh, work here. You. Gonna help out with the house and the kids? Solo español. You work here and you don't speak any English at all. All she has to do is dial 911 and press 2 for Spanish. This is a. Floor? This is Georgie and this is John. John, this is Floor. Floor. Si, perfecto. That's what we call a meet cute. You know. You know, that man's married, but uh, the sparks are flying. Not really. No. No, not really. Not 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 really. Not in this scene, no. No. Um But that was a little thing where uh Deborah had struggled to say Floor's name correctly. Mm -hmm. You know, she's like, like floor, like floor. No, mm -hmm. no, floor. You know? And then John gets it right first try. Yeah. So I think that was the first thing where not a not a love connection, but a, you know, human being connection. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I will say, like, even even in this like audio, like you can tell. Uh, that John is way more sensible because he's yes. like being like kind, great, wonderful. And it's just like, oh, oh, you're going to work here now. That's great. You don't speak any English and not in a like, not in a like uh, higher than thou. Like you're in America, speak English. But the like, how is this going to work? Like gen genuinely, no one in this house speaks Spanish. <laughs> what is this? Why was this decision made? It's kind of interesting. It's like where, where Deborah is like 
too much. Mm-hmm. I guess John could be described as too little. You know, like mm-hmm. he is he's a considerate guy and I think he's got a heart of gold, but he's kind of a pushover in a certain way. You know, and I think that leads to friction between him and his wife because they don't communicate. Yeah, like that is problem number one. Mm-hmm. They don't communicate with each other when they make decisions. Yeah. And John is e- easily bendable. You know, he wants to bend to like, you know, cater to other people's needs. You know, so he he like gives up stuff for his own benefit for other people. And his wife doesn't understand that. I'll I'll disagree with that. I think I'll disagree with that. I think that because what which we'll see when like the restaurant's doing well and different like he's very good at demanding what he wants because his priority is his family. And I think it's interesting, which we haven't talked, we're probably not gonna really talk about, because we don't see his family dynamic. We never talk about his parents or his siblings or anything like that. So I don't know what it looks like on that side, but for him, he's like Okay, sure. I want peace in my family. And I will say, yeah, he does like put, I I don't know if I'd use the word pushover, but it also is the closest thing. Like he does just kind of like, okay. He defers a lot. He does defer, but he, it's very obvious that he just wants peace in his family. He works hard and does stuff and like demands things in his own way. Like, yeah, softer than his wife in other areas of his life. But for this, he's like, I need this. Like, he's about work-life balance and he just wants to spend time. And you can see it in the way we're not going to talk about kids yet, but in the way he treats his children and the way he like does that. Right. But he tries to use that same kind of thing on his wife and it doesn't work because she's crazy. I think I, I kind of want to play clips now of of because like okay, before we get into the family dynamics, one thing: John works at a restaurant. Mm-hmm. It's no, a, he owns. A he restaurant. owns a restaurant. It's it's very po- uh, popular and mm-hmm. successful. And a a New York Times reporter gives him a good review on his restaurant, and then Michelin comes in and rates him and gives him the four stars. Three, you know, three stars. Yes, yeah, that's the, the highest stars. I think in the movie it's four stars oh. still, and he wants three and a quarter because in his mind. Four star changes the place, mm-hmm. changes the heart of the place. You know, uh, people change, different clientele, yeah, snootier, yeah. Uh, it, it's not as personal to him anymore. You know, so mm-hmm. like that's his whole anxiety thing. You know, and he's right. like very, it's almost like a imposter syndrome or something. Mm-hmm. You know, where he doesn't want to be high profile, and he doesn't like compliments. Mm-hmm. I don't want to talk too much about that because it's really not all that important. You know, it humanizes yeah. him to a point, but I don't think that's important completely. Yeah. What I do want to talk about is his relationship with his wife and his kids and their relationship with their kids and their spouse mm-hmm. and their relationship with Floor. It's all very complicated. So Everything just, is relationships. At this point, we're just going to talk about family themes, family drama. We'll talk as as scenes come up. I will play them. Okay. Okay. So. <laughs> he look overwhelmed. In the movie, John and Deborah, mm-hmm. they do not communicate with each other. Correct. And. In some ways, you want to make Deborah out to be the bad guy because yeah. she kind of is. She's a lot. She's a lot. But at the same time, I think they have an interesting relationship because they have a very imbalanced stake in the relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, like on the surface, John has less issues than Deborah. And mm-hmm. that makes her more anxious because she feels like she's always the bad guy yeah. who always needs to work on it. Whereas John is always like the good parent, the good man. He's he's kind hearted. He's always perceived as that. Yes. Because well, he's more permissive. Right. So I think that's an issue because he doesn't meet her at her level. He just wants to like, let's just mm-hmm. can we just like not, you know? Yeah. But like we learned through the restaurant that John also does not communicate with his wife. So yeah. I want to present that first to show that like John's not perfect. No. 
So you gave away 20% of the restaurant without even talking to me about it? I had to right then or I would have lost them. Then I won't have enough time with the family. I don't exist. Ah, sure you do. And I was all worried just trying to figure out the timing to talk to you about running a place for the summer. Well, I think you have your timing. They don't talk. And I think that was in the wrong. You should talk to his wife. That's a that's a big decision. You got to talk to your wife about that. Yeah. Let's see. If you're married, you got to talk to your spouse before you make big decisions like that. If you're in any kind of partnership. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big. It's a big. Uh, it's a superpower, honestly. Yeah. The other question is like, hey, we need to do this. Well, I need to talk to my wife first. Yeah. That's a great superpower. Use it. <laughs> Delay everything. Yeah, I think that like, I. Here's the thing. Did you get? The six clips before this moment where she does things without discussing it. Yes. Okay. Because yeah, let's, let's let's talk about. Oh man, like because, the the big ones. Yeah, because here, all before, like before the the summer trip, I like I could talk about them, right? Like, yeah, because, let's do it. Because I think in in the mood when we were watching it, you were like, he does it too, and I'm like, look, you're not wrong, and he definitely should have discussed this. He gave away twenty percent. Of the restaurant, right? Like, that is a big... We need to talk about that. What yes. are you doing? But, like, it's not okay. It's not I'm okay. Just try, but, I'm just trying to just meet Deborah at her level a little bit, okay? I'm oh trying to give gosh. her a little bit of grace. But she is a lot. She is... She's, 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 <laughs> she needs a lot of work, this oh lady. Oh, my gosh. Can I change my nickname to I'm a lot? Like, I just feel like we're saying it a bunch. Here's the thing, right? So, I... If I was in John's position after having... Uh, let's just... Let's just talk through the things she does, right? So, <laughs> okay, I'll play clips as they come up. Uh, the first thing she, the first thing that she gets really mad about, right, is um, I don't remember why, but she like gets mad at Georgie the son and is like punishing him for there, something. There was something that happened the night before. Yeah, and um, and so this is a little bit on. I will say on. Um, I just to make it even, I would say this is John's bad, right? And his son is like are you really mad? And he's like, no, not really. And he smiles and goes away. And so him and Deborah have a, a fight about that. When it comes to the kids, John, we got to stay on the same page, you know, united, doing consistent, consistent parenting. Do you know how many books on parenting I've read? Deb. Since Everyone in the house school, can hear them screaming. Together, take advantage of it. Hey, word for word, what did you say to Georgie exactly? No, I'm not mad. Good guy. Bad guy. Oh, come on. What the hell are you doing? Everything's okay. So, just a quick disclaimer. We feel like we say this all the time. We don't have kids. You guys are the only kids we have. Now, listen to my parenting advice. <laughs> <laughs> like, you don't have to be mad about a thing that your kid did. But if you got, if you and your partner have agreed on a way to handle this, then that's the thing, right? Right? So, if you had said, like, no, I'm not mad, but you still did a thing, right? So, this is the consequence of your actions. Then you guys are on the same page. So, I will say, uh, Deborah or like John threw Deborah under the bus a little bit by like making that delineation. Yeah. On its face, I agree with everything Deborah just said. Yes. But on the flip side, she made a decision to punish him about something without discussing it yeah. with her husband, which 
is fine, right? Like it is that is your kid. And if you're like, hey, honey, they did X, Y, and Z, da da da. But if it was like, you know, it was like, okay, great. You don't need to like, I'm if we have kids, I'm not gonna be like, well, wait until your father gets home. Absolutely not. If you're doing something wild and be like, oh, unacceptable, go sit in a corner, da 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 da. And I'd probably text you and just be like, hey, as a heads up, this has happened. This is what I'm doing. Um, and when we get together, if we can decide if we're gonna do more punishment, less punishment, whatever, but immediate consequences have been taken. Yeah. So there's that. And so you can be like, oh, there's some tension, but then we just keep moving forward with bad decisions, right? Like she, I'm going to miss some, but the biggest one for Hold me- Hold on, right before, you, before you get into that, I was gonna say, uh, she uses the, we need to be on the same page because yeah, yeah on its face, she's correct. Mm -hmm. Parenting is about being on equal terms with each other and yeah. agreeing on paths forward. But she uses that as a manipulation tool a yeah. lot. Yeah. She 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 says it so that she can bend John to serve her needs. Yeah. You know. So it it is it's manipulative in some ways, and she does it a lot because yeah. like whenever she feels like she's losing ground in the argument or whatever, she needs to pull that card in order to like win a little bit you know yeah so it's a very antagonistic relationship between these two absolutely and, and they that, have a fight but it's <laughs> it's not a fight she he he doesn't he doesn't treat it as a fight but she's like we're having a fight yeah but even like moving from that to the next like altercation in my opinion where she uses that as a manipulation tactic is like she goes out and she there's a sale and she goes shopping for her daughter and she's got like bags bags of stuff one that's not healthy right and um this is literally hours after the last thing <laughs> yes um she it's shopping therapy that's yeah. what a los angeles that's what a los angeles suburbanite would do yeah Yikes. And so this is like a great thing, right? And he's uh It's not the, a great thing. No, no, no. I think it's actually kind of like a monstrous thing for her to like, well, I'm gonna fix all my problems by buying things. No. Like that for her, that's her way of resolving the issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I don't think that that is a good coping mechanism for your issues. I was gonna say it's a good moment because your daughter uh, like needed a boost, right? Yeah. So the kind of thing like, okay, I'm going out, I'm going shopping, but I'm not going to like do it for me. Like uh, I'm going to like go and was like, I'm out and looking for stuff, but oh, I thought of my daughter and this will look really cute on her, blah, blah, blah. So like the, like the thought process is like, oh, that, that's, that's cute. That's sweet. That's nice. It's like a double, really it's a, it's two sides of the same coin. Exactly. Um, And so like just before this, um, while she like her and her husband have a fight and she leaves, her and her husband have a fight about the kids and she leaves uh, to go shopping and her husband stays and is tutoring one of his kids who is struggling in her history, right? Yes. So like that's the dynamic where you can see where like where they put in, where they invest their time and their emotion. And he's sitting there and he's helping her and she's struggling. She's getting, she's feeling dumb. She's feeling like she's not going to get this. And then mom comes in and is like, no, you're like, you're worth And she's like, what did I do to deserve this? Uh, and it's just, there's no answer yeah. to that. You're my daughter. And so like, it, it's it's such a great thing. It's such a great pick me up and it's so nice. 
it's it to me it's like it's a very layered thing because I think like on its face it is kind and I mm -hmm. think as far as Bernie is concerned that moment is like wow this is really nice my mom's doing this for me but on the inverse I feel like Deborah is literally doing this to get brownie points yeah that's she what is, I was gonna it, say. it is a self-serving act in her mind mm -hmm. you know because she's she, like well I can be the good guy too I she, for her I have no way to fix these issues other than with material goods mm -hmm. you know that's that that is how that is i think that is a testament to her upbringing yeah for her you fix issues by throwing money at it yeah which is that's actually a really that's a detail early in the movie when floor and her cousin come yeah. to the 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 house to interview floor <laughs> floor's cousin accidentally walks into a screen door mm -hmm. or a, a glass door going down the outside and, and hurts her nose and her nose is bloody so deborah runs in and like here, here, you know, apply some some cold stuff to your nose so it doesn't swell up. And then she just hands her a $50 bill. Yeah. And she's like, is it weird that I just gave you money? Yeah. That's her thing. Yeah. She throws money at problems. Yeah. She's like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to handle this, so I'm going to do this, right? But, like, going back to this, because what we're talking about is um, them, her, like, demanding to be on the same page and her not, like, but, like, her not saying the book we're in. Her not explaining the page before she takes an action. Yes. So she goes, she buys all these clothes, and she gives them to Bernie. And play the clip. That makes me mad. Eight. What? Eight. What, what, what? Eight. Eight. Bernie, come on. Listen, What's come on, on, Bernie. You're going to do it, and, and you're going to look beautiful. Oh, honey, I just, you are going to lose that weight. And, oh, God. Uh, it's heartbreaking. Now, let me tell you all the things that are wrong with this. Um, And that I feel even more just listening to it and not watching it. The phrase. Her, her first statement is, you're going to do it and you're going to look beautiful. Implying. What do I look? The little girl is so cute. She's got such curly brown hair that's long. She's got the cutest little braces, freckles all over her face. She's a pretty girl. She's a pretty girl, right? The actress is a pretty girl. Um, even if she wasn't, that is your daughter. Yeah, you don't imply that she's not beautiful now. Even if she wasn't your daughter, you are a woman and that is a girl in her preteens. Like you can't remember that words destroy. Th this is, I'm telling you, hurt people hurt people. Her mom did this to her. I guarantee it. You know? Oh my gosh. It's, it's it's like a, honey, don't eat that. You're going to put on 20 pounds. It's awful. It's so awful, right? And then like the worst part is, uh, because I, I wouldn't say, I think the thing is where I was like, I don't know that um, I would call John like a pushover. I think he's slow to make like connections True. and stuff because he's sitting there and she he's like eight. She's I was like I don't know this girl size. I I don't know. But as soon as she puts something on and been like what eight? It doesn't fit. Uh, I'll be like oh that one doesn't fit and she opens it and she says eight again. He's like what? What's happening? What what what? I'm like what what what, what do you mean what what? Infer infer my dude. Um, but regardless <laughs> that like what happens here is Bernie sort of claps back at her mom and then needs to, she's like, I just need to be alone right now and walks away and closes the door. And she literally is just in her bathroom crying. And uh, her dad is like, come on, Bernie, come on. We, we, we got, we're, we're, I'm just going to wait right here. Come on, like, come out. And mom is like, 
this is what I'm saying. We need to be on the same page. That's, that's her it. Pediat- Do you have that clip? I don't have that okay. clip. Like her pediatrician's daughter is thin. Uh, so, so can she, and like, that's the thing, right? Where she's just like, well, I decided our daughter's fat. And um, because I don't want a fat daughter. I mean, because, you know, it's not healthy. No, you know, like, are you kidding? You run every day. Take your child running with you. Yeah, there's a there's a little moment before this where Bernie makes like fried like PB&J or something. Oh my gosh, it looks so freaking good. But she gives it to Deborah and Deborah is like, oh, this is so good, but you should really, be, you should really shouldn't be eating this. You know, like, like little negs here yeah. and there. You know, it's a very manipulative thing. It's mean. It's so bad. Yeah. And I think like it's, it's things like this, right? So we're talking about him. So there's more stuff, but we're not gonna. Well, hold on. I want to play the, uh, John's reaction in the car to this moment. Okay. I'm running out of excuses for the lady of the house. <laughs> but man, Bernice's finals tomorrow. She didn't need this one. And just the look on her face when she got the gifts. Like for one second, she thought all her problems with her mother had been solved. He appeared to be a good man, but to someone with firsthand knowledge of Latin macho, he seemed to have the emotions of a Mexican woman. And this is where uh, Adam Sandler really gets to show off his acting chops, you know, because like he mixes in like the classic Sandler mm-hmm. that you know, like him, like yelling like that. Like he does that in a lot of his movies. But Come on. Yeah. Uh, but it's I don't know. It's more dramatic here. And it's good. Yeah. You know, and then he's like weeping. <laughs> he is, in fact, weeping. I was, uh, he should yeah, be real quick. I just want to say like Adam Sandler, I think he's just like he really pulls this off. It, it's a good mix of classic Sandler and dramatic Sandler, you know. There's the I I won't play the clip, but there's the clip where he comes home drunk one night and he's doing the classic Sandler like woohoo, <laughs> you know, like his little, like little Jewish voice that he does. Yeah, um, yeah, it, like he does very well in this, and I think that like this is one of the things where you you're you get on the side of John more than you get on Deborah's just because right because like let's be honest, they had another fight and he leaves the house. That's not different from what Deborah did earlier. True. And that um, I was like, in, I don't know, it kind of reminds me of my parents dynamic a little bit. Like when when the going gets hot, sometimes my dad retreats. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to deal with it. And I think that's fair. You definitely need to do that sometimes. But like this is this is not this is not how we, we deal with this. Also, you yeah. just left your daughter in with that woman. Um, but he, the, I think the thing is, right, like when we look at when we look at stuff like this, when she's like, we need to be on the same page. Like she's not asking him to communicate with her or talk with her. She's asking him to like, this is the thing I've I've already decided to do and I'm doing, you need to just do it too, right? So when he flips and does the same thing, she's mad about it, yep. right? Where you were like, two wrongs don't make a right. And I'm like, you're right. Yeah, two wrongs don't make you're a right. You're absolutely right. You should not do this. But I was like, this is the dynamic of this relationship. I'm sorry, only you're able to make decisions. No, I think, and I think especially, sorry, we're going all, I'm going to be going all over the place because like he was not excited about that. Like he didn't, he didn't want to get all like that high of a score in Michelin. He was like, I want to be able to live my life. I want to work things out with my wife. I want to be there for my, my children. My daughter's having a really hard time. Like I, I want to do this. Like he was stressing out, hoping he didn't. And then when he read the paper and saw he had it, he like cursed and hid the paper and his family found it uh and they're really excited about it she comes home and has uh, sex with him because she's so excited about it she uh is all of this and he's just like that's great i don't want this for me though like that's not what i want 
nobody really seems to care because it's such a big thing, you know, which yeah. is it. But nobody really is like, it, one, he's not sharing it. But like, you're not going to burden your children with that, one. Yeah. And two, your wife isn't listening. So you talk about it with the people at work, which he does. And he's very firm about those things. And so at that point, like you make your own decision about like, what is going to be good for me? Like what is going to be healthy yeah. for me? And he does that and he gets flack for it where he's just like, had I talked to you and been like, hey, I'm struggling with this. I want to be here for the family. I want to be doing X, Y, and Z. We've been like, well, no, like, no, I'm, I'm making this decision. Like we could have talked about it, but this is the decision that was going to be made regardless. And it kind of makes the love story, which I consider to be the weakest part of this movie, mm -hmm. you know, because there's a there's a subtle like it, it's it's not like full on romantic comedy, but there is a romance that develops between John and Fleur. Yeah. Um, and it's it's not done elegantly, you know, like I understand where he was going. I think it, it if you follow the beats, they make sense. Yeah. On a literal level. But like, you know, it doesn't feel I don't feel it, you know. Yeah. I I would say this not this is not the true term, obviously, but it's a little trauma bonding to be. Oh yeah, no, no. Honest. For sure. I was gonna say, like, John, through all of his relationships, like he's he's doesn't have the best relationship with his wife. His his job keeps him away from his kids, and he's already feeling kind of like insecure or something, mm -hmm. you know, like unfulfilled with his job. Mm -hmm. He's empty. He, there's a there's a there's a hole. That he needs to fill, and Floor just conveniently happens to be there. Yeah, and they like you know connect emotionally on yeah. certain issues, like you know, and I think like it's natural for them to like connect on like you know they're both they both have kids, they both mm -hmm. have daughters, they connect for that stuff, and like they're both charming, attractive people. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's another thing, like like Floor is an attractive woman, and I, I there I after I got the clips, like there are subtle things that. Uh, the camera focuses on with Adam Sandler's mm -hmm. face where it's like, oh, I am physically attracted to Floor. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, yeah. ma I'm a married man. I'm not going to act yeah, yeah. on that, but I am physically attracted to Floor. Yeah, agreed. And then there are equally, there are little reaction shots of Floor where, you know, Pas Vega like does something with her face where she's like, oh, John's a, ch he's a charming man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's just a little while back you said Adam Sandler is attractive and I'm sure he is attractive to some. <laughs> I'm not saying he's ugly. I'm not Deborah, but I don't find him attractive. Fair enough. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying. Yeah, no, no, I get it. Right, like that does it. That does it for someone. He, she's she's attractive. He's charming. <laughs> he, that I'll give you. Um, um, but um, yeah. So it makes sense that he is having all these issues. That why he would see a connection with Floor as an opportunity to, to like fill that hole in his heart. Yeah, and I think even like going back to what I was saying, right, about him not having a safe space to talk about what his needs are and, like, what he's struggling with, that becomes floor. Like, that's what it is. And it's not just like, oh, you're filling a hole and it's romantic. It's like, no, you're literally meeting an emotional need. And in the hierarchy of needs by Aslan, like, it's important. Aslan? Yeah, I don't know. Aslo's. Aslan is a lion. Yeah, so I think, like, he, in, in some ways... He confuses like emotional connection and like, you know, uh, um, emotional fulfillment with romantic feelings, you know, a romantic attraction. I don't know if it's confused. I think it grows into that. But yes, they are both. I think at first it is very innocent. It's very innocent and it's very much like I have somebody who 
gets it, especially when she starts, spoiler alert, learning English and able to communicate. Yeah, do I, do I have? Several. Yeah, I'm like, no, I, like, I, I, I guess I have a clip. Let's see, let's see how Probably this Probably after the fight. <laughs> you know about Christina and your private school? Oh, that, that, they did it. I don't know what to do. Don't ask me. I'm worried about my own kid going there. Because they, they keep sending her home anxiety-ridden, mostly over geometry. I mean, you get Bernice. In a decent world, her school should let her know how great she is, right? <laughs> you don't have to worry about Bernice. Nothing is going to change that heart. Okay. Say what you're gonna say about this beautiful moment. I was gonna, I mean, this opens up a whole another aspect of the film that we haven't even touched on. But um, I was gonna say that is them talking about both of their daughters going to a fancy private school, and Poss, sorry, uh, and Floor is very like conflicted about doing that. But this is both of them connecting with each other over their kids. And you brought up a good point about that moment where like Floor compliments Bernice. Mm -hmm. It is like, oh, you know, she's. She, you know, she's a wonderful girl. Like you can't, you know, you can't take that away from her. And that's where like Adam Sandler, like fully, like it, I think that's where it becomes full infatuation for him. Yeah. Cause you brought up that, like when you speak well about someone's kids, like mm -hmm. that's, you know, that's important. You're, you're getting in. You, you, when people are like, Oh, the way to a person's heart is their stomach. Nah, dog. See the things in their kids that they see in their kids. Like she could have said, Bernice is beautiful. Um, that's not what's important. <laughs> you know? It's like that heart, that all those things. And legit, that is the moment where uh, the movie, like Adam Sandler is like, oh my God, I am smitten with Floor. Yeah. And they're saying this on a beach, mm -hmm. like in the wind. Yeah. And like, there's a shot where like Floor is just like standing, like looking out of the water, you know, attractively to mm -hmm. him, you know, and it's through, I think the camera's showing his perspective. Where yeah. He's just like, my God, this woman's beautiful. Yeah. He's like, get out of the wind. You're too beautiful. Yeah. Like you're messing with my emotions here. Yeah. We were, when we were watching it, I just kept saying, this man is fighting for his life. He's like, oh, sin is knocking at my doorstep. God, God, got to get out of here. Got to get out of here. Cause yeah. he does not want to do that. Like no. he does not want to mess up his marriage. He doesn't. Here's the thing. I want to talk about all this stuff. We are going so long I in know, circles and I stuff. Know, There's know. so much to talk about, but before we do that, uh, we need to talk about the many sense of Deborah so that we can really understand um, how we got to this place, right? Because um, guys, watch the movie. So like she, uh, Floor works for the Skalaskis. That's not right. And um, she's like working for them. And then in that clip, she's like, I wanted to get a summer place. They go to Malibu to get a summer place. And um, that is when uh, they have to go next door to the Mexican next door and have him translate for Flora that's like, hey, we're gonna move in here for the summer. We need you to move in with us. Like, it's too far for you to travel. Like, literally, she like goes and she like when they're in this like, and this will be your room. And Flora's like, I don't understand what you're saying. Uh, and then the mom is like, did you ask her if she can live with us for the summer? Yeah. And the mom, and yeah, that's where, and that's uh, it's like, no, why would I? Why would she do anything else? Because everyone needs to be on Deborah's page. And that's where Deborah learns. It's like, oh, you have a daughter? Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah. And then she's offended. Like, how do I not know you have a whole daughter? You've been working here for so long. Like, what is this? Like, seriously, it's not about you. And then she says, hey, uh, figure it out. Like, you either come move with us or you're fired. She's manipulative. Like, I, and she's like, I'm so sad about it. There's nothing I can do. Like, what are you talking about? And so because of that, she stays there for three months with them, but she brings her daughter into this. Yes. And upon 
meeting, um, Deborah immediately says, she's so beautiful, standing dead next to her daughter, who's in the background being like, to her father, like, please don't compare me to her, don't do it, like, uh, instantly. Like, when you're watching it, in the foreground, you see, like, um, this meeting happen, and even though she is blurry in the background, she's a great actress, this little girl playing uh, Bernie, you see her frown deeply. Like, immediately, she's like, Oh, there's a there's a little pretty little girl who is getting all this attention from my mom. Uh, this is gonna be the worst summer ever. Yeah, I'm not even gonna be wear, able to wear a bathing suit on the beach. I was already gonna feel bad about it, and now it's gonna be way worse. Um, and like, I think it's like even harder because oh crap, there's so many things. <laughs> we're gonna get we're gonna get to the Deborah um, thing, but like, Flora and Bernie have connected at some point because. Where uh, at the very beginning, please watch the movie, kids. The very when um, Deborah brings home the stuff, it's like you're gonna lose that weight. Uh, and Floor, not understanding English, knows what's going on because she's a woman with sense. With a um, daughter. With a daughter, takes the clothes. Like she learns a single English phrase from her daughter, which is just. Just try them. Yeah. <laughs> hey. Wow. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Taste she has. Just try it on. When did you learn to speak English? Nada. Nada. Just try, Just try it on. <laughs> it's too tight. It doesn't fit. Bernice, just try it on. Hey. It's it's too small. I'm too big. Just try it on. She's so aggressive. Just okay, okay. I'll show you. <laughs> and I just, to preface this, one, I also quote this line so much. When we open the scene, Bernice is sleeping on her bed covered with tissue. She spent the night crying. Her face is literally still red. And Floor took the time to learn a, a single phrase and she seam ripped all of the clothes to add space so that Bernice could wear these beautiful things, right? Like this, you are gorgeous and beautiful and you deserve good things and you shouldn't feel like crap. And it would be so easy to fix this here. So they're 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 connected. She goes in later when she realizes this and like hugs Floor, and she's so happy about that. But then her daughter moves in, and she still has no like bad feelings towards to to Floor, Floor, and she is also really kind like to Christina. They like become friends and stuff. But like the ability, like it's the dichotomy, right? That's, that's probably how you use that word of Floor being able to give to all of the children in the house. Uh, equally, uh, and Deborah only being able to focus on something that like feeds her need of her perfectionism. Yes, right. It, it, to, to illustrate that point, what is the first thing she does? The first sin she commits when Christina moves in? She kidnaps the girl. She no, she not real like. She literally not that like, dramatic. It's that it is literally that dramatic. She um sees. Christina sitting on uh, the beach at like the sunrise. It's like six in the morning. Yeah. And is like, hey, want to go on a trip? Let's go shopping together. Just me and you. And then. Without you asking. You can't see this. And what does she do? She leaves a handwritten letter in English on Christina's bed. So when her mom wakes up, that's all she sees and not her child. Yeah. She says, I stole your, I stole your daughter for the day. <laughs> and. It literally, I think it's just for Deborah to get validation. You know, she wants to feel, so she's getting something out of it. It's, it's self-serving. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for taking me. Do you stop, stop thanking me. I really, I enjoyed having the company. The flea market was just, uh, I don't know what to say. It was just so many things. And, and, and you, you knew so much about all of them. The way you made those people lower the prices, though, I just think that you're... Never mind. Now go ahead. I can take it. I just think that you're the most amazing white woman that I've ever met. Does she say this in the movie? Does Deborah say, wow, I'm getting validation from a 12-year-old? No. But that's how we feel. Yeah. Like, that's what she needs. She needs validation from a 12-year-old to feel good about herself. That's this whole situation. Yeah, like she's just absolutely just constantly looking for validation in places she shouldn't. Therapy. And like, because she has this validation and she's just, oh, this girl adores me. She now is like, I get to make decisions. People just need to get on my page. Like I make, this girl has great sense and I'm going to make decisions for her. And everyone's going to need to, like, Deborah is a, so much. She's too much. Legitimate kids, watch the movie because there's so many other like things that she does that she's just like, well, I should just like, this is the right thing. Like they, she just needs to, it's. <sighs> we have barely scratched the surface. We haven't of even this talked about the since. affair that she is having. <laughs> she has an affair. Uh... I've been seeing another man for the last 11 weeks and it was nothing and I ended it tonight. At first it was just keeping an eye on the real estate market and then it was... What? Me being insecure and searching for some ridiculous oh, hold validation? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm missing what you're saying. I, hey. Okay, you, you can't, you can't keep talking and expect me to follow it um, when you start the way you did. So. Oh, just what did you hear? Well, it was a crack in the planet. Devastating. Also, yes, this movie also has adultery. There's a lot going on. There's so much, guys. Um, so, uh, and we didn't even talk about Flores deteriorating a relationship with her daughter. Yes, um, because due to <laughs> the influence of white privilege, Deborah teaches Christina how to go full manipulation. Because straight up lied to her parents. Yeah, we Mom. like. It was alluded to when we talked about the beach scene between Floor and John where uh, Deborah manipulates Christina and Floor into getting Christina into a fancy private school and mm -hmm. a scholarship, which is like, those are good things on their face, but it's full on manipulation without Floor's permission or, uh, you know, involvement. It's so much. It's so much. We're not going to watch the movie. Kids. Yeah, literally. We watch can't touch movie. it all. It's impossible. There's too much going on. I in know this movie. you want to wrap up, but you really wanted to talk about romance. And I I'm don't. So you I, don't. I think we kind of did. Like, I mean, uh, that, that, that towards the end of the movie, like all these little pieces fall into place where it becomes like John is broken and needs something. Comfort. Yeah, and f I think floor, and for on floor side, it's harder to understand. But I think it's just like, oh, this man's charming, and he gets along with my daughter. And they had this big awesome scene where I kind of want to play one clip. One clip, the first clip from that scene. Okay, it's the first argue, like first yeah. real argument between floor and John and John. But because floor at that point does not speak English, she has to use Christina to translate. Yeah. Did you give this money to my daughter? Okay, I 
I made a deal with the kids, all the kids. Oh, no, discúlpeme. Oh, no, please. ¿Qué no acostumbra usted a preguntarle a los papás si están... You don't tell or ask the mother when you give a child a fortune. Simplemente por unas piedritas en la playa. For looking on the beach for stones? ¿Cuál es la palabra? What is the word for this? Sea glass. Vidrio del mar. No me refiero al nombre de la piedra. No, not the name for the stones. Digo la palabra para la acción, para... Para lo que usted hizo. A name for the action, what you did. Engreído. Oh boy, Engreído is gonna be rough. Smug. So that, that scene's awesome. Yeah. Like, I think that's honestly the best scene in the movie. It's so good. Because it's 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 well written, mm -hmm. it's well acted, because it's, you know, it, it's a back and forth where um, Christina is the cipher for both of them. Mm -hmm. So it's really, I mean, it's a very charming scene too. Yeah. And it shows the acting chops for everyone in the room. Yeah. Um, and it's the point where like Floor and John see eye to eye mm -hmm. where like John brings it up. He's because John made a deal with the kids. It's like, hey, collect sea glass and I'll pay you like a dollar for each one or something, you mm -hmm. know, and Christina goes over <laughs> overboard and <laughs> ends up making six hundred dollars worth of sea glass. Literally makes her mother's paycheck in a week. Yeah. And so John, like being a good person, you know, in his mind, mm -hmm. pays her the money that he owes her. Yeah. But it was without forced permission. But they have a connection where John says, like, don't you think it's a little hypocritical? Don't you know what I, you I know you did for for Bernice? Like, you how know, is that different? You fixed her clothes for her. Yeah. You know, and she's like, you're right. You know, and they have like uh, they, they both humble out a little bit mm -hmm. and they see eye to eye. And I think that's one of the moments where Flora like feels like a connection with yeah. John. And I think you can, we're going to wrap up, but I, I think like we're because you're like, oh, sometimes like, it's not just that connection, but like because of that moment, like. If she needs to talk things through with, because as a parent, hi, again, we don't have kids. Being like in a, a co-parenting relationship, whether that you are married or you are like separating, you are duly uh, raising this child, that is a partnership and you get to like talk through things, right? Like, it's not just like, am I making the wrong decision? It's like, you were just as invested in this child. So like, we are gonna make this decision together after really talking through all the angles. She's a single parent. Every decision she makes is going to make or break her child. Like everything about this child in her rearing years falls on this woman's shoulder. And when she's struggling with something, she asks John to talk it through with her. Like, and that's that's the moment, right? Like, yeah. that's the moment where he's like, oh. And for her as well, like, you don't just, like, seriously have these conversations with someone. Like, you are asking them to have an opinion in how you were raising your child. Yeah. And that's why, right? Like, that's why she's able, she's like, you're raising, you're raising your kids, right, alone. So you also understand what it's like to, like, be a single parent. Like, let's talk through these things. Like, what do you feel about this? Da-da-da-da. And, like, that's, like, where the romance is, like, real. And this is, it. this is towards the very end of the yeah, movie, the right? Yeah, mo the movie culminates in, like, a, amidst this turmoil, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, how do John and Floor reconcile their love connection? You know, like, mm -hmm. th John's married. He has children. He doesn't want to screw up his family and his life. Mm -hmm. Like, and likewise, Floor has, she's a very principled woman. Yeah. You know, she has principles and she doesn't want to home wrecker kind mm -hmm. of thing. How do they deal with it? Yeah. And so it's interesting. Like, I've never seen a love story like that before in yeah. a movie. So it's very interesting. It's just like, it's odd. Yeah. Gosh, because even if like this is not something this like the idea, not just like I don't want to be a homewrecker. Like it's the example I'm setting for my daughter uh, and she's already in this world. Like what would this happen? What happens if we 
break them up and we get together like what what is the character my child now has honestly we're gonna stop talking about this but kids you really do need to watch it yeah, there's so many amazing moments like we didn't even really like bernie is literally my favorite character and she has so many like like the moments i felt closest to crying were usually when she's on screen because you can really feel this like Anguish. helplessness yeah this absolute helplessness of like being so clever. She's a very clever girl. She's very em empathetic. She's very like a lot, but she's also like 13, 14 and she can do very little. Yeah, she's insecure. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's, Watch it, the movie. Yeah. Okay. So we, we, I, I also recommend this movie. We both recommend this movie. There is so much we didn't even talk about. Oh, we touch, we like, didn't touch anything. It is a, it is a dense script. It has a lot to say. Um, I think in some ways it loses itself a little bit. I think the love story could have been done a little better, but at the same time, when you're trying to do this much in a script, this could have been a TV show, honestly. Oh my gosh! If Imagine made... if this was like if they don't do mini, they didn't do miniseries in 2004. Um, so, if 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 like AMC had put the money to do a six-part miniseries of Spanglish, mm -hmm. James L. Brooks, it probably would have been a little better. I it still would have took seven years. I would have watched it. I still will watch it. I will watch it right now. Do it. But yeah, I recommend Spanglish. I think yeah. it's 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 a solid movie. Um, it, it has its weaknesses, but yeah. And literally, we can't cover it all. It's impossible. It's impossible. If you if you are intrigued by some of the character stuff we've been talking about, like I think you should watch the movie. If that interests you in like learning about characters and stuff, mm -hmm. do it. Literally. I feel like I'm gonna watch this with, yeah, I'm gonna invite uh, my psychologist friends over and we're just gonna, we're just gonna, we're just gonna take this movie apart. Oh, uh, yes. But what did the world think? Tell me. Spanglish was a box office bomb. Yeah, feels right. Grossing $55 million worldwide against its ballooned production budget. Wow. So yeah, it lost lots of money. Lots of money. The film received mixed reviews from critics, with praise going to Sandler's and Vegas performances, and I criticism see. going to the plot. Okay, I thought you were going to say to the kids' performance, and I was no. like, I will, I will go back in time and fight. <laughs> SF Gate, for example, called Spanglish quote uneven, patently false, and fitfully entertaining. What was patently false? I don't know. Everything felt true. While the aisle seat called it quote awkward and quote too long by about half an hour. <laughs> Which you agreed. I kind of do. Like the last act, I think, kind of goes on too long. Mm. But it's kind of the culmination of everything. So yeah. I get it. But it, the movie really does kind of sit on ice for a little while. It's yeah. kind of odd. That's why I think this movie would have been way better as a miniseries. Agreed. The Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. That latter outlet did sum things up by saying, quote, Spanglish is not as good as Brooks' best works, but it is still a solid effort from a man with a gift for creating realistic characters and situations. Agreed. This is what we call character-driven writing. Yeah. This is character-driven writing. If you didn't know what character this, this is what it is. The AV Club, meanwhile, said, quote, Vega radiates effortless strength and charm in her first Hollywood role, and Sandler proves to be a gratifyingly unpredictable leading man, self-effacing one moment and hilariously empathetic to the other. I could agree with those points. Actress Shelby Bruce, who played... Little Christina. Yeah. Won Best Supporting Actress Film at the Imagen Foundation Awards, which oh. is uh, like the award for a Latino uh, uh, in the arts stuff. That's really cool. While Pas Vega won Breakout of the Year on screen and Sarah Steele, who played uh, Little Bernie, mm -hmm. won Best Performance by Youth in a Leading 
or supporting role, female, at the Phoenix Film Critics Society Awards. All deserve it. Yeah. All deserve it. I love that the women took home all the awards yeah. for this movie. And here's here's an interesting award. Assistant Location Manager Kai Rowan Young won Assistant Location Manager of the Year feature film at the California On Location Awards. Okay. I didn't even know that was an award. I didn't know that was an award show. So there you go. California On Location Award. Wow. I mean, that makes sense. It's it takes a it's a lot of work to get a location in California. So Yeah. Award those people. They're probably not getting paid enough. And what of the legacy of Spanglish? Was there a TV show? No, almost non-existent. Uh, I struggled. I had to search. There was a soundtrack album released featuring Hans Zimmer's score. Wow. This this, this movie has a pretty score. It does. You know, it's like it's one of those like orchestral scores in a comedy film were beginning to uh, go away by the mid 2000s. So this yeah. is like one of the last ones to have a real score before they all became somebody. Wants yeah, just somebody. all like crappy pop songs and stuff. Yeah. So uh, Hans Zimmer, good job, man. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, since that was it for the legacy of Spanglish, I ask, where did James L. Brooks go from here? Where did he go? Because this is his, like, kind of almost his swan song. Oh. Yeah. Uh, he co-wrote and co-produced 2007's Simpsons movie. Mm-hmm. He's also written two Simpsons short films in 2012 and 2020, respectively. Those are the ones on Disney+. Plus. Okay. Brooks released his final film as of the time of this recording. How do you know in 2010? I have seen, how do you know? It's a very basic romantic comedy featuring uh, Reese Witherspoon, I think. Oh. And, uh, oh, and Paul Rudd. Huh. Oh, and Owen Wilson's in there and he plays Jock. No, I've never heard <laughs> yeah, of this Yeah, yeah, I saw this movie. It's it's fine. It's it's like a totally fine movie, <laughs> but it, 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 it was kind of a dud. Yeah. It received negative reviews and was noted as one of the biggest box office flops of all time. Dang, Daniel. So, yeah, poor James L. Brooks, his career kind of went out with a thud. Yeah. Um, you know, so he had the highest of highs and then... Ended up yeah, low. Yeah, so a lot of his Hollywood stock is depleted at this point in time. Well... So, yeah. Uh, but James L. Brooks has since produced films like 2016's The Edge of Seventeen. I love that movie. And 2023's... Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret, <laughs> which is uh, a movie that's getting really good reviews right now. So oh. he's more of a producer now. Got it. You know, and he's like he can spot something. Yeah, like, he's oh, shepherding projects that need to be seen. Yeah. So okay, good for him. Good. Well, that's all I got for Spanglish. All right. <sighs> yeah. Watch the movie. Watch like, it, literally, yes. I think we covered maybe 30 percent of this. Film. Oh, my gosh. You're not wrong. <laughs> it's insane. Uh, there's only one song we can close out with, though. Do you know what it is? Christina Aguilera's Fan Con Migo. Yeah. Because uh, in the movie, one connecting back to our 1998 music episode where we talked about Christina Aguilera's debut album. Mm -hmm. Um, In this movie, little Christina uh, listens to big Christina. (laughs) Christina Aguilera, the Spanish version of Come On Over. Yeah. Um, It's Ven Conmigo. By Christina Aguilera. Yes. So we're going to close that with that. And uh, we'll be back after the break with my movie of 2004.
We'll be right back. From the Academy Award-winning director of Terms of Endearment, and as good as it gets... You're gorgeous. She didn't mean it as a compliment. It's more of an accusation. <laughs> this Friday, be there for the laughter. Don't worry, I'm not mad. Be there for the tears. What's wrong, honey? And be there. Not the worst thing in the world to find out that you love your husband. For each other. Do I need a little wake up? You need a hose. Spanglish. Rated PG-13. We're back with a song by the White Stripes. I did not know that was the White Stripes. I thought they were called the White Keys. That's black the keys? Black Keys, and that's different. White Stripes are the people who do... Uh, doom, Delilah? Doom, 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 doom. It's the one that every uh, every high school student that just learned to play the guitar, that's the song they play. Um, I'm not in high school, but if I learned to play the guitar right now, that is the song that I would play. How dare you? Or... Uh, Smoke on the water, you know? That sounds don't, dangerous. So you're saying I should learn to play smoke-keasy water? What? Well, uh, if you can't tell, uh, that last segment took it out of us. So Jess is both tired and hoarse. I'm not a horse. I'm your wife. Um, but yeah, that is a, a song from the White Stripes it's called We're Gonna Be Friends, and it is the song that opens my film of 2004. And what film is that? Friends, the movie. Released June 11th, 2004, written by Jared and Jerusha Hess, directed by Jared Hess, starring John Grease, Aaron Ruel, Efren Ramirez, Tina Margarito, Diedrich Bader, and John Heater. That is Napoleon Dynamite. Did you just say Tina is in the cast list? Tina Margarino plays Deb. Oh, okay. <laughs> not Tina, not Tina the uh the the llama. Are you sure? Yes. I feel like you might have put that in on top. Can you please look up the llama's name? The, do they credit the llama? They usually credit animals. I don't know, man. It's just, they just said it just says Tina on the internet. Mm, the internet should fix that and give Tina a name. Well, in any case, Napoleon Dynamite. It's a movie I watched. Uh, did, have you seen this movie before? Yeah. How could you not? Do you, you have a story with Napoleon Dynamite before I tell mine? Everybody loved it and I didn't understand. And we watched it in school? Okay. Why was this a movie pe- teachers put on? I have no idea, but just like you, uh, this was a movie everyone was talking about. So I was a seventh grader, middle school, right? First year. And I, it was weird. One day, like one week, everyone just started talking about this movie. Everyone was quoting it. Everyone had seen it. And I was like, what the heck is that movie? And I was like, well, maybe I should go see this movie. And by the time I went to the theater to go watch it, it was out of theaters. <laughs> so we rented it at Blockbuster when it released on DVD. Mm-hmm. And it was like me, my older sister, and some friends all watching it. And uh, 
I think even like my sister's boyfriend at the time was there. And we were all just like, what is this? <laughs> you know? And like, it's quirky and goofy and like I connected with it, you know? So I, I, I also got in on the quotum train <sighs> and, and then I, did we buy the DVD? I, I, we, we definitely bought the DVD at some point. And that's when I like would just watch it when I did my homework and listen to the DV, uh, listen to the commentary mm -hmm. and uh, watch the special features all the time. You yeah. Know? Do we? Is it on DVD in this house? It's got to be. I feel like I've definitely seen it. Yeah, it's got to be. And uh, this was like my put on when you're sick at home movie. Mm. <laughs> so I, I constantly remember having like fever dreams and like falling asleep while sick listening to the soundtrack of this movie. <laughs> In the background. That's wild that that is the choice for you. It's a very cozy movie. You know, it's like just. That's a descriptive normal. word. No, no, it's not normal. It's not normal. No. But it is uh, like very down to earth. And that's not true. What am no. I saying? What am I saying? It's a movie. Insulated. <laughs> you know, it's a film. It's a movie. It's, it's not a simple movie, but it's set in a simple place. That's what I would use to describe a Miyazaki film. <laughs> it's just like out in the middle of nowhere. It's it's quirky for sure. It's definitely quirky. And it is quotable, but I feel like the movie has more to offer than just the quotable lines. Because I feel like fans of this movie don't do a well enough job articulating why they like this movie. Other than, lol, so random. That's that's fair. And that's, what, that's my mission today. Because... We watched it, mm -hmm. and I still love this movie, yeah, and I do. appreciate it way more now than I did even back then. This is a true statement you are making. And we watched it together uh, the previous time, mm -hmm. and you even got a little bit of a newfound respect for this movie. Yeah, so this, so I think it's so weird because the last time we watched it, I was like, okay, that's really, that was not as bad as I remembered it. Maybe I've like... uh. I don't want to say matured because that's come around. Word. Maybe I've come around to it and I was like, oh, my humor is now aligned with it. But then when we watched it this time, I was like, no, I don't like it. Interesting. So maybe it's an every other watch kind of thing for me or I need to be in a very specific mindset. I think that is fair. Sometimes you have to be in the right mindset to watch this movie. Which is, for you is sick out of your mind, feverish. Well, I mean, <laughs> I guess. I don't know. Maybe I should watch it today then. Uh, but Napoleon Dynamite, I might as well get into the history of it. Because, um, you know, it came from a, it's just, a, you know, it's a little, it's the little movie that could, is Napoleon Dynamite. It's a little indie movie that made it big, you know. That's true. Uh, yeah, it's the, out, the, the outcast that won the day, just like Napoleon in the movie. <laughs> Jared Hess and Jerusha Demke met at Brigham Young University, Mormons, where Hess was attending film school and Demke was studying English. According to Hess, he, quote, told her to join the film department because you didn't have to read long books. You could watch movies and write about them. That's and, how they got me in the creative writing department. And that's, and that's how they started their, their relationship. Mm. They're married, by the way, now. that's what they're, they're, they're the Hesses. Yeah, you did say their name is the same. I was like, are they married or yep. are they siblings? Jared Hess, Drusha Hess. They are a Hollywood power couple. Okay, so it's not a, a classic Shupo. No, no, I think they're still together. Okay, cool. They, they do independent projects now. Sometimes, but, but that's they still important come, yeah. in a marriage to have individual things that you're working on. But they come together and they've got, you know, a, a library of work. While at BYU, Hess also befriended fellow film students John Heater, star of Napoleon Dynamite, and Jeremy Kuhn, producer of Napoleon Dynamite. In 2002, the trio produced a student short film called 
peluca, which is I, I learned Spanish for wig. Oh, I knew I, we always you know it's like a it's like a rube, right? Like mm. what a peluca. <laughs> it's like an insult. Is it? Yeah, it's like an old timey insult. Like, look at this peluca. I've never heard that <laughs> you word. Heard it in like old uh, like mob movies. You would. You watch a lot of old things. Anyway, Palooka was written and directed by Hess, was produced by Kuhn, and featured John Heater in the starring role. And, well, let me read the the synopsis of Palooka, mm. and uh, I'll talk about it. Palooka told the story of Seth, quote, super nerd extraordinaire, as he and his two friends, Gail and Pedro, <laughs> skip school to attempt to buy a lottery ticket at a convenience store, and then shop at a local thrift store. And... Palooka is essentially the pilot for Napoleon Dynamite. It's the test run. Mm -hmm. John Heater is basically playing Napoleon Dynamite, except his name is Seth. Mm -hmm. He looks and talks the exact same. And then he's got two friends. And just like in the movie, Pedro shaves all his hair off Hmm. (laughs) because he feels too hot. So they have to go to the thrift store to buy him a wig. Oh, strange. Also, did you watch this? Yes, it's on the DVD. Oh, nerd. And, and a lo- many of the situations included in Palooka are then reused in Napoleon Dynamite. Why? That, that, that It's because they wanted to make Palooka its a own movie. Film? Yeah. Okay. They, they saw potential in Palooka. Was Pedro play play the same person? No. Mm. And then they took the two characters, Gail and Pedro, and made them one person in the movie. Uh. Palooka, shot in Hess's hometown of Preston, Idaho, was completed in just two days with a budget of under $500. Thrifty. The film was shown at the 2003 Slam Dance Film Festival and was reportedly well-received. It's a very charming little short. Like it's it? it, it's It's a slice of life type of thing. Mm. Well, it just, it just shows, you know, teenagers being teenagers yeah. in a little thing, you know, and it, like the stakes are low, but it's, you know, quirky and goofy and it has personality. Mm. Okay, okay. Kuhn soon convinced Hess to drop out of school and adapt Palooka into a feature film as he helped to find investors for the project. Wait a minute. Kuhn convinced Hess to drop out of film school so that he can produce Palooka into a feature film as soon as possible. So he was like, hey, pretty lady, ditch your major and come over here. And she's like, all right. No, 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 no. It's the man, Jared Hess. So his friend, Jeremy Kuhn, convinced Uh... him to drop out of school. So that he could direct, write and direct Palooka into a feature film while Kuhn went out to find investors to make the movie. What's his future's wife last? Jerusha. Jerusha. Demke. Demke. Demke was, the, I thought Demke. Okay, okay. I got it, got it, got it. Um, I guess it was a gamble that paid off. It was, but that, that's But a, that's not good advice. I don't think so. I think they finished school first. Yeah, uh, you're already paying for it. <laughs> they took a gamble. That's for sure. Yeah, they absolutely did. Hey, kids, there are exceptions to the rule, but don't ex- don't if you've already committed to college and you're spending a bunch of money on it, don't just drop out. You don't get a grace period at paying that mess back if you don't graduate. Jared and Jerusha Hess, freshly married, penned the screenplay together. Did she drop out? I don't know. Wild. But th- th- uh, there's there's an interview out there with both of them, and they described being dirt poor writing this movie in a single chair together because they couldn't afford furniture. And so they're sitting there in one chair together trying to write this screenplay. And <laughs> Jerusha says she was like scared of not having any money. And Jared is like, this is my dream. Honestly, guys, 
the starving artist thing, let's not do it. <laughs> let's just not do it. There are other ways to chase your art. Let's not do it while destroying our bodies and our, our hopes and our minds and our spirits. Kuhn and the Hesses were able to scrape together $400,000 to get the film made. Okay, how? Seeking out investors. That's that's kind of the hustle with a producer. Was GoFundMe a thing yet? No. So you, <laughs> you have to like seek out, you know, financiers to get your movie made. That's how that. it works. That's terrible. And $400,000 is not a lot of money to make a movie. That's a lot of money for two college dropouts. The project was given the title Napoleon Dynamite, inspired, according to Jared Hess, by a man he met on the streets in Cicero, Illinois, while he was doing missionary work for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So while he was a missionary, uh, he met a guy who called himself Napoleon Dynamite, and he thought that was, you know, a fun name. Okay, so it was just the name that I want to know what this guy did that was also inspiration, but it was just the name? That's fair. I, yeah, I guess. I don't know. That's fair. The film shares its name with a pseudonym used by Elvis Costello, but Hess claims that he was unaware of Costello's use of the name until late in production. Mm. So Elvis Costello is saying, well, he took my name. Oh. Uh, Elvis Costello is a famous musician, if you didn't yeah. know. Yeah. We say his name often. Oh, wait. You don't actually ever hear us say his name. We say it amongst ourselves. Oh. But, uh... My my theory is that this guy that Jared Hess met in Cicero was using Napoleon Dynamite as an homage to yeah. Elvis Costello. Yeah, that's what but I But Hess thinking. just didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Hess reportedly sent the short film and the script to a variety of different casting directors, many of whom thought the idea was, quote, too weird or they just didn't like the character, which I understand. It's very fair. One casting director suggested Jake Gyllenhaal for the lead role. Imagine that. It's just Bubble Boy. <laughs> oh yeah, I guess he he had he had, he had experience. Under, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a movie you haven't finished. But Hess believed that Heater was the only actor that could play the part. And at this point, I don't think anyone can play Napoleon Dynamite quite like him. That's fair. Jason Lee of uh, My Name Is Earl fame was offered the role of Uncle Rico, while Brad Garrett auditioned for uh, Rex of Rex Quando. Brad Garrett's the guy from. Uh, Everybody loves Raymond, the brother. Is he Raymond? Oh, I vaguely remember what he looks like. Sorry, guy. Uh, but anyway, he he decided he enjoyed the script, but he decided not to commit. Mm. Napoleon Dynamite was shot on location in Preston, Idaho, in July 2003 over a period of 23 days. That's not. They right. don't have a lot of money. Yeah, they don't have a lot of money. Operating on such a tight budget, Hess cast many of his friends from school, and he relied on the generosity of Preston locals who provided housing and food to crew members. I was thinking, like, feeding and housing is going to be the hardest part. Yeah, it's part. like it's a very tight-knit Mormon community in Idaho, mm -hmm. and everyone just looked out for each other, had each other's backs, and they got this thing out. Like, oh, did you hear the Hess boy? He's making a movie. I thought he dropped out of school. Ah, <laughs> we definitely need help him then. <laughs> Following the shoot, Jeremy Kuhn edited the film during a nine-day cram session using Apple Final Cut Pro software. He had been using it for the first time. Look, we edit stuff. Videos, even. That 90 minutes is a lot. I was just like, I was just like, nine days just nonstop sounds awful. And I like editing video. Awful. So, a general rule of thumb, and I imagine for a feature film, this is even worse, but... One, one minute of footage is one hour of editing work. Yep. So that's at least 90 hours. Yep. In nine days. Yep. That's 10 hour a day. 10 hour days for, ten, for nine days. That sounds horrible. 
and you're staking your life on it. I appreciate the hustle, though. The hustle is real. Napoleon Dynamite premiered at the 2004 Sundance Film Festival, where Kuhn sold the film to Fox Searchlight Pictures for $3.2 million on the first day. Okay, Fox. Okay, Fox. I was like, that's like a dream come true. First day of, film, of, of Sundance Film Festival, you show your movie off, and Fox says, we'll buy it for $3.2 million. You My know, wife which, is going to be so happy. Which is like more than six times it, the money it costs to make. Yeah. Do you think he went back and he paid his friends for their generosity? Oh, I'm, I'm sure, yeah. Absolutely. And then he went and prayed. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> Following a series of test screenings, Fox Searchlight requested the addition of a new opening title sequence as test audiences struggled to understand when the film took place. Mm. So, general uh, knowledge, uh, Napoleon Dynamite is set in 2004. <laughs> mm. I think it's like the 2004-2005 school year. So it's set in modern day. But one, it's takes place in you know middle of nowhere uh, idaho mm-hmm. and everyone's just kind of like dressed old yeah everyone's dressed old and listens to old things and uses old things that's mm-hmm. why napoleon walks around and also it's kind of based on the hess's high school experiences mm-hmm. when they were probably going to high school in the 80s and 90s right so napoleon walks around with like moon boots on and uh his friend Deb has the sideways ponytail. Yeah. And they're all using old VHS tapes and Walkmans. Yeah. Cassette tapes. So it's very hard to to place it. Yes. But it's set in modern day. Yeah. So how they did that was they created this uh, title sequence um, featuring, uh, you know, a bunch of different objects w- with the credits written on them, like plates and hot dogs and chapstick. But they had a wallet appear, and Napoleon pulls his school ID out of the wallet, and it says 2004-2005 school year. Mm-hmm. That was their way of getting nah. around it. Eight months after the film was completed, that title sequence was filmed in cinematographer Mun Powell's basement. So yes, they did film it in one location. I remember you asked that during our watch. Because mm-hmm. it was like so much um, like different floors and, and textures and stuff, and I was like, did they just... Get a bunch of samples. They might have still got the samples, but they filmed it in one basement. Fair. Fox Searchlight Pictures also supplied additional funds for a post-credit scene. Now, I said this when we watched it because I remember reading this. There was claims that the title, the the post-credit scene, cost more money than the film itself. Right. Mm -hmm. I found no evidence of that. Mm -hmm. It all traced back to a. An article by Screen Rant. And if anyone's worked with me professional, they, <laughs> professionally, they know I have thoughts about ScreenRant.com. <laughs> but their article misquotes a statement by uh, John Heater regarding the budget of the movie. When he talked about something costing half the budget, he was talking about the Jamiroquai song they had to buy the rights to for the end of the film. Mm. So he mentioned that they spent half the budget on that song. For some reason, Screen Rant took that quote and then just said that the the post credit scene was half the budget. Mm. And I was like, where did you get that? Why did you do that? Why would you say that? So anyway, yes, yeah, so Screen Rant dropping the ball again. Oh, just taking pot shots. Sorry. But that's all I got for Napoleon Dynamite. Hmm. It was released and it was a hit. Oh, okay. Well, so which movie was better? We got to talk about the movie. Oh, I thought you said that's all we had for Napoleon. Well, no, we got to talk about the movie. I'm going to prove to you 
that this movie deserves your respect. Me? Yeah. Or the kids? Everyone. Mm. So I'm going to like peel back the layers on this movie. You know, I'm going to like try my best, uh, you know, get be because I feel like in order to appreciate this movie, you need to get beyond the like the 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 superficial uh, appearances of the film. Right. Mm. Because, yes, the movie is weird and quirky and eccentric and it has a style its own. But I think there's deeper stuff underneath. Mm-hmm. Um, so we got to meet our characters and we will, you know, I'll start peeling it back as we meet these people. So let, let's jump into this movie. What are you going to do today, Napoleon? Whatever I feel like I want to do. Gosh. It's Napoleon Dynamite. He's going to do what he feels like he wants to do. Gosh. 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 Des- describe Napoleon for us. He's really tall, has very curly gold hair. He wears glasses. He talks with a very wet mouth. He, he He's a mouth breather. He is a mouth breather. Absolutely. <laughs> what's his like, what's his personality like? Weird. <laughs> um, he's super nerd extraordinaire. He's awkward, socially inept. Yeah. A little, no, we're just going to go ahead. Socially inept. <laughs> But I think that's the beauty of Napoleon Dynamite. Like, he's a high school student. Mm. And I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I see I see more of him in my memories of high school, like, nerds mm-hmm. than I do from the nerds from, like, John Hughes movies. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, John Hughes has a very, like, like, those look like, you know, supermodels with glasses on, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. in a way. You know, and, like, remember Farmer Ted from uh, Pretty in Pink or yeah, yeah, yeah. 16 Candles, whatever, you know? Like, that guy wasn't much of a nerd. He wasn't. He was disgusting, though. <laughs> yeah, well, he was a creep. but uh, He was a creep, indeed. But Napoleon Dynamite, like, I don't know. Like, he's he's written to be a weird high school student mm-hmm. with, like, social issues. Yeah. Like, he, watching it this latest time, I see, like, where he, I, I think he has an arc. I see where he learns and grows in his character. Because at the movie, he's he's a liar. You that know? is true. He he lives in fan he like fantasizes about like you know being better than he is and he lies to people to make himself puff himself up you know mm-hmm. make him look better than he is you know so like the this 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 scene gets quoted a lot but uh, I feel like this is a good example. Hey Napoleon, what'd you do on last summer again? I told you I spent it with my uncle in Alaska hunting wolverines. Did you shoot any? Yes, like fifty of them. They kept trying to attack my cousins. What the heck would you do in a situation like that? kind of gun did you use a freaking 12 gauge what do you think he's just lying do wolverines even live in alaska who knows but i think that's the thing like he comes up with stories to like it's like a defense mechanism you know he sounds so like angry because that's a jock who makes fun of him Mm -hmm. you know and so like they're just i feel like that i mean this is something that i did in high school too you know you you call out the nerd like again i was a bad person i feel like in the pecking order of of high school you have to like punch down, right? You don't have to. One feels the need to punch down to make yourself feel better in the hierarchy of high school, which is a horrible thing, but it's the truth. I think it's funny that in the last segment we talked about middle schoolers and now we're here talking about high school. Yeah, well, it's the same. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm kind of. <laughs> but yeah, like so this this jock is just calling out Napoleon on his on his lies to make him and his friends laugh. Mm-hmm. You know, and Napoleon's basically just like coming at him with antagonism because he needs to defend himself Mm -hmm. and that's his way of defending himself lying Lying. (laughs) and he does it to even he so who what's it who's he who does he meet at school pedro hey is that a new kid or something 
Napoleon, this is Pedro. Would you mind showing him where his locker is? Sure. Come on. You know, there's like a buttload of gangs at this school. This one gang kept wanting me to join because I'm pretty good with the bow staff. Did you ride the bus to school? No. I ride my bike. What kind of bike do you have? It's a sledgehammer. Dang. You got shocks, pegs. Lucky. Lucky? But you hear him there. He's just lying to this kid he just met. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man, I'm pretty good with a bow staff. No, you're not. There are gangs in the school. There aren't gangs. There could be. And and I, I guarantee you Napoleon Dynamite has never touched a bow staff in his life. Which is kind of funny because I actually had a bow staff in my clo in my closet when I was in high school because I did martial arts. Can we have it in our closet? I, I think we we might have given it away, but we donated it to the dojo. But I want a weapon. How much does a bow staff touch? I have no idea. How much does a bow staff cost? Not touch. I have no idea. It touches whatever you aim it at. I'm just saying, Napoleon's a liar. He does this a lot. You know, yeah. it's, it, early in the movie, he's constantly making up stories and puffing himself up, like saying like he's got skills like. I got nunchuck skills, bow hunting skills. And I was like, no, you don't. You're a liar. He's bored. He is bored. And I think that's another thing about this movie is um, this is like, you know, a, a go nowhere town kind mm -hmm. of thing, you know. So he's just like this dreamer living, you know, trying to like he, he draws a lot. That's kind of Napoleon's thing, like right. his real thing. Mm -hmm. He draws a lot of like fantastical animals and wizards and things. He's not very good at it. No, he's not. But that's his way of escapism, in a way. Yeah. Uh, who, uh, we, we introduced Pedro there. He's got a cool bike. But what else, what's up with Pedro? He's new? Yeah. Are you trying to get me to say he's Hispanic? I mean, he is. Is that what you're trying to get me to say, though? No. I'm just, I mean, the... <laughs> he's just, what, what's up with Pedro? Yeah. He's new. He has way more confidence, and he doesn't lie. He has way more confidence. He, he does have does. confidence. Yeah. He's just kind of like, yeah, I'm going to go do that thing. Well, what's, what's like... Pedro and Napoleon's like first big like thing they're looking forward to, I guess. A dance, because every high school movie has a dance. Have you heard about the dance? Yes. Have you met anyone to ask yet? No, but I probably will after school. Who are you gonna ask? That girl over there. She braided my one Summer Wheatley? How the heck are you gonna do that? Build her a cake or something. <laughs> build her a cake. They should have a build a cake like they have a build a bear. I mean, can't you can't you go to like a cake store and just have them build your cake? Okay, you're right. <laughs> Facts. My bad. I'm the idiot. But you heard Gosh. it there. But you heard it there. Uh, Pedro is just like, yep. I'm just gonna go ask the popular girl to dance. No fear. Which is the thing all teenage boys do. They have no fear. And what does Napoleon do in the face of such confidence? Lie. Yeah, my old girlfriend from Oklahoma was going to fly out here for the dance, but she couldn't because she's doing some modeling right now. Is he hot? See for yourself. Wow. Yeah, I took her to the mall to get some glamour shots for her birthday one year. I like her bangs. Me too. <laughs> Again, lying. Because he pulls out a picture of a glamour model that he, I guess, stole? So from. he's a liar and a thief. Yeah. And he's just making this up. And now it says the audience, we know he's making this up. Like with the Wolverine stuff, like maybe you're like, well, maybe he's telling the truth. But it's like, no, he's a liar. He's this a is liar. proof. Do you think Pedro believes him or just does not care? 
I don't know. I think like a thing about Pedro is he's so loyal. He's a good friend in this movie. But does he believe him? Yeah, I don't know. It's hard to say. I think in some ways, though, Pedro is trying to make Napoleon a better person. You know, like, why don't you just go do this? You know? Okay. Well, now I'm going to examine Pedro from this side of the chair. Okay. He's new to town and he doesn't want to really make any waves. And he's like, this guy's kind of weird, but he's talking to me and no one else is. All right, whatever. I feel like that's his this thing yep. because he he isn't like going like, that's not your girlfriend or asking deeper questions. He comments on her bangs. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe he's just very incred- or, uh, credulous, you know? He's just like, all right, dog, whatever. Your yeah. lies aren't affecting me, so it's fine. Yeah. Or maybe he just believes him. And, and this this cast is a bunch of weirdos. Like, Pedro is just kind of also very awkward and weird, even though he's very confident. It's just like, yeah, I'm going to make a cake for the popular girl and ask her to the dance. He's not making a cake. He built her a cake. There you go. Also, you said the cast is very weird. Do you mean the cast of characters or the cast themselves? Well, the cast are playing the characters very awkwardly. Like, everyone's just very, like dry and kind of just stilted and awkward but i think that grandma yeah i don't actually i don't have a clip of grandma well she makes she she tells napoleon to make a dang quesadilla Mm -hmm. but yeah everyone and that's part of the the style of the movie is to make it like very dry you know probably just like the the town itself Mm -hmm. you know very indie as well but where did uh, napoleon steal his glamour photo from deborah Whoa, that's a different movie. Well, it's Deb. Deb. Two, we got two Debs. This is the, ep- the Deb episode. The Deb episode. Um, hello. Would you like to look like this? This is a girl. Because for a limited time only, glamour shots by Deb are 75% off. I already get my hair cut at the Cotton Corral. Well, maybe you'd be interested in some homewoven handicrafts. Deb's a, Deb's a hustler. She runs a glamour photo studio in her, I assume, her garage. Mm. And she sells uh, boondoggle keychains. <laughs> boondoggle? Yeah, that's what she says. Oh. Boondoggle. It's a weird name. It's a weird word. Describe Deb. She has a side ponytail. Yeah. That's it. No. That's the only discerning feature about this young lady. She's she's girl. <laughs> she's kind of the love interest for Napoleon, but not like... Little little bits, mm-hmm. little by little. I think she's got a thing for Napoleon. Napoleon has a girlfriend. No, he Deb doesn't. doesn't seem like a homewrecker. Do you think Napoleon's gonna cheat on his girlfriend? His Oklahoma fake girlfriend. What would Pedro say about that? <laughs> well, Pedro takes her to the dance exactly Deb, after uh, Summer Wheatley uh, rejects him. But they're all just friends, you know. I think that's the part. I think part of the quest of this movie is Napoleon like learning that he needs friends and you know having their back just like they have his. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I can agree with that. There's kind of two more characters in the main cast that we can meet. Tina? That's not one of the ones I have, but... Tina, you fat lard, come get some dinner! Tina, eat. Eat the food. Eat the food! So Napoleon lives with his grandma, and his grandma owns a llama named Tina, and... Napoleon hates feeding Tina. A couple of things. One, you got a clip for Tina, but not a clip for Grandma. <laughs> Sorry, I, I got like the. I guess I should have got the like. Dang it, Napoleon, make yourself a dang quesadilla. I should have got that. But. Shame. 
we should just close the whole thing and at the very end of the song play that clip okay i'm gonna <laughs> i'll do that it's the uh behind the scene yeah all right we'll do that <laughs> uh second thing so what i'm hearing now is napoleon is a liar a thief a fat shamer and heaps abuse upon tina by throwing food at her yeah he's he's a he's he's a flawed person at the beginning of this movie tisk tisk like he's he's an angsty teenager you know tisk tisk cuz i feel like nerds in movies are like always like the victims you know like they're and then napoleon is victimized like he's bullied at school he's, like bullies get him in headlocks and stuff like that but he also lashes out because hurt people hurt people that's true also, all all the bullies are forty year old men. <laughs> well, they had they had limited available <laughs> cast members, right? It's true. But who else does Napoleon live with? Ted. What's his name? His, his brother, brother. Kip. Kip. Stay home and eat all the freaking chips, Kip. Napoleon, don't be jealous that I've been chatting online with babes all day. Besides, we both know I'm training to become a cage fighter. Since when, Kip? You have the worst reflexes of all time. Try and hit me, Napoleon. What? I said, come down here and see what happens if you try and hit me. And what happens? He hits him. <laughs> Napoleon just slaps him in the face. He was distracted. Kip could have taken him. So, uh. Would you like me to strike Kit? Yeah. He's tall. Uh, no, short. Straight teeth. Does he have straight teeth? He has braces. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Glasses. A full head of hair. He's like this little nerdy man. Is he nerdy? I think so. But he talks to babes all day. He's he's constantly on the computer chatting, allegedly with with hot babes. I chat with hot babes all day in the comment section of uh, webtoons. I think Kip makes the most amount of sense, and he doesn't lie. It's true. Like you think he's lying. I think I think some of the misdirects of this movie is you think he's lying about his online girlfriend, because I think most people, if they say, "Yeah, I've got an online girlfriend." They're lying. Yeah. So, like, you hear this from, from Kip. Well, I'll tell you something right now. You'd find your soulmate. I've already got a soulmate. Oh, yeah. What's her name again? LaFonda. LaFonda. Huh. How's she doing? Well, I think I'm going to need some time off. She's flying out from Detroit for a few days. So he, he says, yeah, I got, a, I got a girlfriend named LaFonda, and she's going to come and visit me. And you're like, no, you don't. Yeah. <laughs> But it's true. It's true. He's never lied about anything. Even when he's like, I, I'm training to be a cage fighter. He probably is training. Is he good at it? <laughs> no. No. But he probably is training. He's the most upstanding man in this community. It'd be a featherweight. <laughs> <laughs> What's lower than a featherweight? He's ant weight. <laughs> Ants are very strong. So and you heard Kip talking to someone in that last club. Who was that? Uncle Ruckus. Uncle <laughs> Uncle Rico. I was close. What are you doing here, Uncle Rico? Grandma took a little spill of the sand dunes today. Broke her coccyx. What? Since when does she go to the dunes? Looks like there's a lot you don't know about. That's just Hey Arnold music. Well, I mean, it's like, yeah, it kind of is. But it's <laughs> like that 70s throwback stuff. Yeah, and it's if for Uncle Rico, it's it's appropriate. Yeah, his motif is that for a reason. Yeah, describe Uncle Rico. Definitely wearing a wig. <laughs> yeah, yes. In the business, they call it a scary mustache. 
He has inverse priest shirts that he wears a lot. It's very confusing. Well, he's constantly wearing 70s shirts. He's got a 70s aesthetic because he's his character is he's someone who lives in the past. He peaked in high school and is now living out his days like remembering the glory days. Yes. In very ugly shirts. Yeah. And and, uh, and his girlfriend left him. Because he's living too much in the, in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Or like, you're living in too much in 82 or something. Because <laughs> he was like the big football star. But uh, he, he wasn't put in during the last play of the big game and they didn't win state. And now he lives with that regret and Forever. wants to go back in time. And we'll talk more about like the character arc uh, a bit later. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of the main cast. Yeah. Yeah, more or less. Those are the most important characters. And like, you know, there's there's little secondary characters here and there. Like grandma. I'm never letting this go. Gosh. So the first thing that you notice with this movie, like, is kind of the visual aesthetic, you know, with the, especially with the the opening sequence that was added later. But the movie itself is shot very, like, symmetrically, you know? You know, you said that, but I don't know that I saw it. Or very, it, Everything is just kind of like, all the shots are very non-dynamic. It's very just... Static? Static, you know. Mm-hmm. Single shot, single shot, right? And I think that's because the Hesses were making a movie in the style of Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. I think this is their attempt to make a Wes Anderson style indie type movie. What do you call it? An homage? In a way, you know, or like, hey, we, we really like Wes Anderson's deal. Let's make a movie like he does. Mm-hmm. And I think when you watch the movie with that in mind, you appreciate the way it looks a little more. Okay. I think so. Yeah. And, like by this time, uh, Wes Anderson, he hadn't full, he hadn't gone full Wes Anderson mm-hmm. yet. Uh, his movies still looked a little like they didn't look like postcards, mm. you know, where it's like so symmetrical and so deliberate, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little looser. So it fits the Napoleon Dynamite style a little bit more. Right. So I think and, and Wes Anderson, he has quirky, eccentric characters with a bunch of idiosyncrasies mm-hmm. and um, they talk strangely. Yeah. It's not unlike Napoleon Dynamite. I think the people who went into Napoleon Dynamite were just like, I don't get it. You know, why does everyone talk this way? Why does it look this way? What's going on? This, they had never seen a Wes Anderson movie before. Because Wes Anderson, like, his movies tend to be more like art house, you know, like artsy people watch them. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the people who had seen Wes Anderson movies and then watched Napoleon Dynamite were like, oh, I get it. They're they're doing a Wes Anderson thing. Got it. I mean, I get that. Um, Indie Wes Anderson. (laughs) I mean, and he was making, making, Wes Anderson was making indie movies, Ah, you know. okay, okay. Yeah, I think. Like, Bottle Rocket is strange, just like this movie is strange. Okay, I have not seen, right, early Wes Anderson movies. So I don't disagree with you, right? But the Wes Anderson that I, like, I have seen is that picturesque postcard stuff. So I don't necessarily see it in this. But I feel like the way you talk about his older stuff, if I watched it, I'd be like, ah. But then you've seen Moonrise Kingdom. I love Moonrise Kingdom. And the kids talk. Oh, yeah. Just like the characters in Pony Dynamite talk. Here's the the thing is for me, right? Like if it was just the picturesque, it would be weird. If it was just the talking, it would be weird. But it's because it's together these two very like dynamic things that it works this way in in his films. So because it's not as necessarily for me, even though it's like a lot of static shocks, shots, static shot is superhero. Uh I don't necessarily see it in the same Like, I hear you. I absolutely do. And I'm like, oh, I feel like if I watch the earlier stuff, I could still feel that. It just feels 
a little too weighted on one side mm. uh, for this, like for the quirky talk, uh, like dialogue uh, without uh, other stuff to right because everything else, like I, because like I watch like lower budget movies and I watch stuff set in smaller towns and stuff, so it's like a weird dichotomy for me because I'm like when I'm seeing stuff like oh it's rural, it very much looks like we shot the rodeo and we're doing like things with locals. Uh, plus this like very intentional awkwardness, it doesn't meld for me okay. in the same way. I can see I can see what you're saying, yeah. right? But it's harder for me to like make that connection. Yeah, yeah. So I, I as someone who has seen a fair share amount of uh, Wes Anderson movies, mm-hmm. like I I understand where this movie what it's trying to do, right? And I don't think it's as artful as Wes Anderson movies are. Like, mm-hmm. I think he, that guy, he, he's just, he's got, he's got images in his head and he makes it happen. You know, um, they don't quite pull it off the same way he does, but like, I still yeah. appreciate this movie for what it's Yeah. What like it's they doing. still pull it off. They yeah. just don't pull it off in well. oh, an Anderson way. They pull it off in a crimp way. What was the last name again? Hess. Cress. Hess. In a Hess way. Right. And then I think we have to acknowledge, like this, this movie is, random like there's just a lot of random stuff in this movie and like people say random things and they have that like comedic timing where it's like it's a lot of non sequiturs mm-hmm. right name one why do you got your hood on like that well when i came home from school my head started to get really hot so i drank some cold water but it didn't do nothing so i laid in the bathtub for a while but then I realized that it was my hair that was making my head so hot. So I went into my kitchen and I shaved it all off. I don't want anyone to see. That whole sequence is so random mm-hmm. and just weird, you know? And I think we watched it and we're like, no, Pedro, you had a panic attack. <laughs> yeah. This because was anxiety. It was anxiety. But that like- the sequence is very like, wow, that was random. Yes, but I also think it's funny, like, sitting here talking about it. I didn't think about it when we were watching it, but I was like, ah, yes, I definitely understand this. Like, oh, something's happening. I'm going to go dye out my hair a different color. I'm going to go cut all the hair off. Yeah. I was like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. That's one of the more relatable things in this thing. Yeah. Just like, ha, 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 But, like, they are, uh, it's a bunch of, like, quick scenes in a row of him, like, drinking cold water to feel better and it's like they didn't work um and then he takes a bath but pedro had just won like a gold medal at a uh, future farmers of america we uh, are contest. farmers sorry he had won a like it was an ffa contest and he had just won the gold medal so he's constantly wearing the gold medal for the rest of the movie mm-hmm. and even when he's naked in the bathtub <laughs> you don't see him he's in a bubble bath yeah but he's still wearing the gold medal over his bare chest <laughs> This is my accomplishment. It's like, and I would take that's it so, everywhere. it's such a random, silly detail, mm-hmm. you know, and it's, it's, that serves no other purpose than to be fa- random and funny. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of that. Yeah. And I'm like, I think why I like this movie on another level is that it anticipated the millennial humor of the 2000s, 2010s the, that we all understand, mm-hmm. you know, like it's the same type of humor that you'd see in flash cartoons at the time or Tim and Eric sketches on Adult Swim or Aqua Teen Hunger Force or even you mentioned Adventure Time. I feel like the Adventure Time, some of the Adventure Time humor 
that you'd see is the same type of humor that they get laughs out of here in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Like where people just say random funny things and you're just like, that was a funny way to say that sentence. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, a freaking 12 gauge, what do you think? Right? It's just such a random thing to say. Yeah. But he said it in such a way where it was like random and for some reason, millennials, we we respond to that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. Just like adult uh, adventure time, you know, like algebra. <laughs> Right? <laughs> I haven't seen that episode, but algebra is very funny. That That's like whenever they say something like, like that was cool. You're just like algebra. Wow. I think that's a, that's a thing. Because algebra is cool. I don't know. <laughs> they just do that. So uh, that that's another thing I like about this movie is that just like there is a absurdism at play. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we can't deny it. And I like some people, they don't like the absurdism, you know, like. You're not. Are you a fan of like Aqua Teen Hunger Force? Um, sorry. Every time you say Aqua Teen Hunger Force, the first thing that pops in my head is Seed Lab 2020. It's the same. It's, it's the, the same, same type thing. of humor that works too. Yeah. Uh, which I found Sea Lab a little funnier than Aqua Teen. But I can quote. So I don't know, man. I feel like when I watched Aqua Teen Hunger Force, I would watch it with that like kind of blank look of what is happening. Yeah. So for me, it was like on the edge of humor, like the absurdity almost got me, but I wasn't quite there because I was like, what is, what is happening? But, and I think you, some people, like my parents, if my mom watched Napoleon Dynamite, she'd have that same look, like, what is happening? Why is it this way? And I'm like, but it's like the absurdity is part of the point. Yeah. But like, it's not absurd. The absurdity isn't like creating a, an a frustrated or angry response in me, like, you know, politics do. The absurdity of politics, what is happening? Whereas this is like, what is, what? Like, my brain is trying to follow and I'm not mad at it. I'm just confused. Yeah, so like the Tim and Eric thing, I bring that up like- those No, are, Tim and Eric is bad. So Tim and Eric stuff is like, just so absurd and out there and outlandish. And like, they just, they throw everything at you and it becomes like, it, it's like anti-comedy in a way, like, like, Andy Kaufman-esque, mm-hmm. if you know what that means. It's like they they sit on the jo- – like they they torture the joke. Yeah. Tim and Eric. And, and Napoleon doesn't go that far. They don't torture the joke. Mm-hmm. But they – they like the early parts of a Tim and Eric sketch where it's just kind of like quirky and weird and you're like, what? It's a little off. Mm-hmm. The perfect example I have for Napoleon I might, in that regard is uh, the Rex Quando thing. Right. So there's like a local – karate dojo in town mm-hmm. run by a guy named rex yeah and it's his own discipline called rex quando and he runs like local ads on tv yeah i'm rex founder of the rex quando self-defense system after one week with me and my dojo you'll be prepared to defend yourself with the strength of a grizzly the reflexes of a puma and the wisdom of a man come down today it's just it's very absurd that whole commercial (laughs) my favorite part is like you know he he mentions like having the strength of a grizzly and the reflexes of a puma his third thing do you you, what he said do you know what he said the reason of a man the wisdom of a man do you know what he's doing in that moment when he says that no he's he's got a woman in a chokehold oh my gosh it's just like it's so stupid and silly but like i feel like I appreciate those moments in the movie because it is in line with the type of humor that is is now blossoming on the internet and mm-hmm. on Adult Swim and stuff. Yeah. 
that particular part makes me think of that uh, comedy sketch, uh, Self Defense. Yes. Yeah. Even that, yeah. It's just like... Your attacker is hacking you. <laughs> you pull out a gun. And like the the way that that sketch escalates, yeah. right? Like even in that Rex Quando clip, that was a 20 second clip. Mm -hmm. It escalates. You yeah. know, it starts out like, you know, it's just like, oh, this is a funny like local TV ad with a guy uh, with a bandana and American flag uh, parachute pants. Mm -hmm. And he's like yelling at you about Rex Quando. And then it like escalates where he talks. He, he does like he does like a bear claw, like tear the screen away. And it does like a very generic like. Uh, page wipe, yeah, you know, like as if a page was turning. <laughs> it's one of those like pre-installed uh, video editing uh, transitions that you can use. Yeah, uh, and, and, and he's like, you'll have the strength of a grizzly, and someone he's standing there, and his partner just kicks him in the groin, <laughs> and he doesn't flinch. You know, and it's like, oh, that's funny, and then it it escalates where he's got a woman in a chokehold talking about being wise, <laughs> like a man, like a man. Eek. And then it, it like, you know, call today for your free child lesson. And he points at the screen, but it's playing two frames back to back. So his finger keeps wagging back and forth <laughs> where it's just so silly to look at. It's yeah. visually funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's a well-executed sequence, mm -hmm. right? It's it's pure comedy. I appreciate it. Thumbs up. <laughs> it's like the, the uh, too many cooks, you know, thing where it's just like it escalates and it just... Too it's, many cooks go on so long. I know, but this this movie doesn't quite go to the point where it's like yeah. so absurd where it's torturing the joke. But yeah, I think yeah, it, yeah. it is, it has that flavor. Agreed. And then another thing about what the Hesses do, like what they're trying, I think what gives this movie its personality most is the fact that it is very anecdotal. It, it's, uh, Jared Hess described the movie as autobiographical. Mm. And you have to understand, this guy went to high school in Preston, Idaho, the mm -hmm. middle of nowhere. And so a lot of the moments and stories in this movie, I guess, were ripped straight from his real life and then the the, the life of his, his wife. Like, Jerusha has also added elements of her high school experience into this movie. Which one of you do you think talked to hot babes all day? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, who knows? But I think a lot of, like, the little tiny weird moments, mm -hmm. like... They're honest and real. And they're like, wow, that's strange. Why did they, why did Napoleon take tater tots and put them in his little pocket, you know, and then eat them in class? Napoleon, give me some of your tots. No, go find your own. Come on, give me some of your tots. No, I'm freaking starved. I didn't get to eat anything today. Oh, God. Gross. Freaking idiot. It's like, why did he do that? And it's according to Jared Hess, because he knew a nerd in high school that would take tater tots, put them in his little pocket, his little zipped up pocket on his pants, and then eat them in class. Honestly, sometimes you get stressed and you need to stress eat. And I think that I listened to the commentary. I think he was saying like, it was both like horrifying and genius. Just put some like Cheetos in there, dude. Cheetos. <laughs> Cheetos. And I, I think... Uh, I think I do appreciate that kind of thing. It makes me think about um, our 85 movie, Better Off Dead. That Better Off Dead. Like very, um, it's episodic and it doesn't feel like it's all together because it's like vignettes of things yeah. that happen. Yeah. But it's pulled together by an overarching kind of um, plot that's just, you know, housing. Housing all the strange moments. Yeah. 
And I, I think knowing that a lot of this stuff is true to life, like this is, it may stream alien and strange, but it is honest and true to life uh, for life in Preston, Idaho. I think that makes me appreciate it even more, you know? Yeah. It, I'm like, like, this is a random town in America. These things happen. Yeah. And I think it's got a very like wholesome quality to it, like a very, uh, it's earnest mm -hmm. because these are real people. This is a real place. And I mean, according to Jared Hess, it's like, this is kind of what life was like over there, you know, where it's like, you're, you're probably, you know, several hours away from the biggest city. You know, you can't just drive to go see a concert, you know, uh, you're bored in the, de you know, basically the desert, Yeah. a bunch of farms. Yeah. It's like, what do you do? What do your friends do? Napoleon, when he goes to school in his school bus, he takes an action figure out of his pocket and it's got a little string attached. He throws it out the window and he's like dragging the action figure from the bus. And, the worst kite ever. <laughs> and again, has, has said, he's like, me and my friends did that when we went to school in the bus. Why? Because you're bored. You got nothing else to do. That's, I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I could not imagine being that bored. It would be horrible. And then Jerusha has, because uh, at, the, at the dance... Uh, Napoleon dances with Dev, you know, because mm -hmm. Napoleon got stood up by his date. Right. And, and this exchange happens. I like your sleeves. They're real big. Thank you. I made them myself. So apparently Jerusha Hess, when she went to a school dance in high school, like her mom made her giant puffy sleeves. Mm. And the, her date was like, I like your sleeves. <laughs> They're real big. <laughs> weird and it's like that's real so you like you watch that scene you're like what a weird thing to say but that's true to life that actually happened i think the did jerusalem grow up in the same place no okay i think the weirdest thing about it and not the weirdest maybe it's even just the most charming thing about it is that like when you sit when any of us kids sit and think back about our high school experience it's not like, oh, I drove down to the lake and we had a party. It's these weird moments. It's yeah. these things where it's like, yeah, one time it was raining and a kid stepped in the rain and started crying because she got wet. It was raining outside. She had a full on breakdown. <laughs> it, 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 I think that's why I, uh, I connected with this movie a lot. I, I want to have a quote from Jared Hess I want to read and then I'll get into it. But uh, Jared Hess described the film as, quote, being so autobiographical. I grew up in a family of six boys in Preston, Idaho, and the character of Napoleon was a hybrid of all of the most nerdy and awkward parts of my and my brothers growing up. Mm. Of me and my brothers growing up. Jerusha really was like Deb growing up. Her mom made her a dress when she was going to a middle school dance, and she said, quote, quote, <laughs> yeah. I hadn't really developed yet, so my mom overcompensated and made some very large fluffy shoulders. Some guy dancing with her patted the sleeves actually said, I like your sleeves. They're real big. <laughs> but um, so when I was in high school, in middle school, my friends and I, we would make little videos together. You know, my I, I look back and it's like my parents bought me a standard definition mini DV camera like a year before HD cameras were proliferated. So, you know, all my videos look like garbage because they were <laughs> shot in 4.3 standard def. Uh, and I couldn't afford a, an HD camera at the time. So anyway, you go back and watch these videos. They look like crap. But. I think we were all inspired by the slice of life Napoleon stuff where mm -hmm. it's like, hey, let's just make videos that like capture vignettes of our lives, but maybe turn them up a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think 
the Hesses, they turned up their experiences just a little to make it more funny, cinematic and absurd. Yeah. Right. But it's like we were doing the same thing when I was in high school. Right. Like there was a rumor in, in class that our chemistry teacher was playing Starcraft during tests mm-hmm. and during like assignments, you know, so the we that was a funny story to us that our chemistry teacher was so bored teaching his class that he would just sit there and play Starcraft while no one else was looking. And so we turned that into a video. It's like, how would that escalate if that was like, if we touched on that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like they did the same thing in their video, in their movie. Are you going to release the video for the kids? No, no, Mm. absolutely not. Can I watch it again? Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, no. And I, uh, I think that it definitely inspired, obviously you have been saying this and you've kept saying this, like, oh, it really like keyed in on the millennia humor of that time and a lot of stuff had already be sort of been doing it, but then it really took off after this, yep. uh, this like meme and absurdist humor. Uh, I think it definitely did spark a lot of um, people to do stuff, right? Like to like take this in their own hands. And like, that's where a lot of our, our, our current filmmakers are coming from things like this. I think so. And YouTube vloggers. Yeah. I I think this movie anticipated kind of the YouTube wave a little bit, you know, Mm -hmm. like YouTube humor Mm -hmm. or funny or die stuff, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Movie did get a big, got one big laugh out of you. You want to describe that scene? No, it was horrible. (laughs) It was a laugh of, oh dear gosh, But I think that, but that's the, the, the almost anti-humor of it, right? Mm -hmm. It was just a guy putting a cow down in a field and he couldn't get his like uh, his rifle to work properly. And then he did just as a bus of school children drove by and there was screaming. So it's like Napoleon's waiting for the school bus and he sees Lyle across the street. And Lyle's just this like farmer guy putting his cow down directly in the field across the street from Napoleon's house. And right as the school bus pulls up, you hear a gunshot and children scream. Yep. It's like, it's funny. It's awful, but it did get a laugh out of me. It was the only laugh that I got this time. Oh no, you have a clip? No. But you didn't get the clip for grandma? And speaking of Lyle, I think that also is evidence of, it's it's more of the like slice of life Idaho stuff, but Mm -hmm. this is a characteristic of the Hesses that I appreciate so much. Now, uh, the Hesses have made a, a, a few films, right? The first three are like the three big ones that really carry their style, right? And it's like hit or miss. So it's Napoleon Dynamite, uh-huh. Nacho Libre, uh-huh. and Gentleman Broncos. Okay. Now, in all three of those movies, one of the things that they do the best is they find, like, not not the main cast, right? Like, Nacho Libre, for example, like the main character is is Jack Black, mm-hmm. right? He's a big movie star. Mm-hmm. But like their surrounding cast, they seek out like interesting, unassuming people to play characters in their movie, right? And I think that goes back to Napoleon Dynamite, right? They're filming in Idaho. They have, like, by necessity, they have to cast, like, locals in the town and their friends, Mm -hmm. right, to just be characters. So you watch Napoleon Dynamite, and there's a a scene where Napoleon is told by his Uncle Rico that he needs to get a job. So Napoleon, he gets a job where? Egg farm. A chicken farm. There you go. And him and a group of, like, just teenagers are being oriented orientated yeah. by like two the two owners of the chicken farm and one is lyle mm-hmm. and the other guys they're just like two normal dude like normal farmer dudes mm-hmm. that were probably actual farmers in yeah. idaho and so they're, they don't talk like actors they're just like you know so they're trying their best and this is what it sounds like 
by noon, I need them 8,000 hens moved into their new cages. Sometimes they don't want to cooperate. But you give them a good shake and that'll settle down for you. Do the chickens have large talons? Do they have what? Large talons. I don't understand a word you just said. Okay, you meet me back here about noon and uh, we'll have a little lunch waiting for you. I don't know. Like That guy doesn't feel like a movie star. Like mm-hmm. That guy doesn't feel like an actor. Like It's very... Uh, it's a big word. Uh, verisimilitude mm-hmm. means uh, the feeling of being real. And it's like, yeah, th- those guys feel like real farmers that yeah. they just shot. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, this is how I, intru- you know, this is how I introduce like summer workers to my farm. Mm-hmm. And like Lyle, like just has a throwaway line. They, they eat lunch. And I'm pretty sure this is also a, str- you know, plucked from life story from Jared Hess. He got a he got a job at a, at a chicken farm and they would have lunch outside in the sun with flies everywhere mm-hmm. and what were they eating <laughs> sandwiches and egg juice raw egg juice and egg sandwiches lots of eggs. And like hard-boiled eggs oh, it's and just like disgusting eggs. and yeah. like they're just like you know napoleon is just sitting there like eating this gross sandwich uh and and lyle just speaks up and goes like i don't have the clip but he's like very like mumble mouth because he's not an actor he's just mm-hmm. some guy and they got him to like explain yeah, over there I found some like some arrowheads in the field. And like it's just like, why did he say <laughs> I think that's one of their strengths is they find these people to mm-hmm. just cast in their movie and have like weird one-off scenes. Mm-hmm. And it it's present in Nacho Libre and it's present in Gentleman Broncos. Okay. And I think that's what they I don't know. It gives the movie a character mm-hmm. in a in a, a texture that's their own, right? They they shine the spotlight on people that you wouldn't normally see in a movie mm-hmm. and you know and let them just talk as themselves they shine it on like the imperfectionism yeah and i think as the hesses have matured as movie like you know movie writers directors they lean more into the gross out stuff you know mm-hmm. they think oh well people really respond to our quirky movies let's like turn up the the gross gross out humor you know like pukes and farts and stuff right mm-hmm. And they lean off of the let's cast weird people in our movies. Mm. So I think that's kind of a sad thing because I think mm-hmm. that's one of the greatest strengths of even like Gentleman Broncos is not a good movie. Mm-hmm. It's It's got I think they, they fail at story. Mm. But there are scenes where their main characters will just go to the mall or go to the thrift store and have a conversation with just random person at the thrift store, like whoever the clerk. Yeah. And that clerk isn't an actor. Or if they are, it's a very like weird looking actor mm-hmm. who's very normal. Mm-hmm. In a weird like weird in a normal way, right? But now they can be in the actors guild of America. You know what I'm saying though? Like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just there like- are weird people out in public, but they're weird in a normal, weird way. <laughs> they're weird in a normal way. They're not weird in a hey, I'm trying to make a movie kind of way. Mm, regular weird. I don't know. I, okay. Name one person in our life that's regular weird. You can cut it. I just want to know. Our tax guy? Okay. <laughs> okay. Just to like, yeah, okay. Like, imagine if he was in a movie as himself, like, just taught, like, if, if a movie character went to get their taxes done and just had, just film that guy in a scene, you know, like, he, he'd be unlike any other movie character out there. Yeah. I get it. Just kind of like really focused on their thing. Yeah. And they're like, I'm here to do my thing. Sure, you can record it, I guess. <laughs> That's kind of what it feels like when they made Napoleon Dynamite. Okay. So like, I'm just listing off things I like about Napoleon yeah. Dynamite at this point. But um, 
there is a story. And I think stripped of all the weirdness, mm -hmm. right? All the strange idiosyncrasies and strange characters and absurdism, right? Peel all that way. I think the movie has a heart. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's, it's genuine. And it tells a very simple story. It's a high school story. And we kind of introduced it, but it's, it's the first half is Napoleon and Pedro mm -hmm. trying to get dates to their dance. Yes. And that is a very standard Hollywood tale. Mm -hmm. Hollywood teen tale, right? But the thing that the Hesses did was they took the stereotype and made it their own. Well, nobody's gonna go out with me. Have you asked anybody yet? No, but who would? I don't even have any good skills. What do you mean? You know, like, nunchuck skills, bow hunting skills, computer hacking skills. Girls only want boyfriends who have great skills. Aren't you pretty good at drawing, like, animals and warriors and stuff? Yes. Probably the best that I know of. Just draw a picture of the girl you want to take out and give it to her for, like, a gift or something. Just a Hollywood. That, that, I mean, that's... Here's a problem, but then the, the magical best friend comes up with a solution and you do it and it works out or it ends in hilarity. And it's kind of what happens, right? Yeah. So what does, he, what does Napoleon do? Go through a yearbook, choose a random girl, or draw a terrible picture. And give it to her. Give it to her mom. And her mom pities Napoleon. And forces the daughter to go out with him. It's terrible. It's terrible, guys. But that's a very high school thing to happen, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You should have been turned down, though. Should have been turned down. She was, like, into it for a second. She was like, oh, that's cool. He's brought, oh. <laughs> Weird. It's like, there's more where this came from if you go to the dance with me. Mm, I don't need any more things. <laughs> and I think just like in normal nor normal high school movies, right? Like the dance is usually the culmination of a, of a, of a conflict, right? Mm -hmm. Like getting a date to the dance is a whole thing. And we've seen it in how many movies have we watched for the show? We've seen Too a dance many. at the end. So many. Like Romy and Michelle had a dance, not at the end, but it was present. It was at the end. They had two dances, though. They had two dances, but like the school dance. Yeah. You know, that the, the, the school dance is like an important part of a, of a teenager's life in the movies, mm -hmm. right? Like where something happens, right? It's either the culmination of, of a struggle or, you know, it's 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 a moment they look back on. Too and, much and Like Romy and Michelle, that was what it was. Uh, Buffy was, it had a school dance in it. That, that was overrun by vampires. Yeah. Even a, a Back to the Future at a school dance, you know, that's where the, the climax happens. Yeah. So, I mean, and Napoleon's no different. Yeah. You know, the, the first half of the movie is them struggling because they're outsiders. They're, they're weird. They're nerds. And, you know, what are nerds to do? What do they need to do to get a date to the dance? Build a cake. Build a cake. Draw a picture. You know, get a few laughs. Do you think he built a cake for Deb or just gave her a card? I have no idea. Maybe he built her a cake. But I think the first half of that movie is one Napoleon realizing that he can't do this on his own, mm -hmm. you know? And I think, I mean, we mentioned at the beginning, Napoleon, he is a flawed person. Mm -hmm. He's a liar. He's insecure. He lashes out. He can't make friends. He doesn't know the nunchucks. Doesn't know the nunchucks. But as the first half goes on and, you know, they use this dance plot to, uh, as a catalyst, right? Through that struggle, he learns that he needs backup. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's a few scenes that like telegraph that. So they Napoleon and Kip, his brother, they go to uh, 
Rex Kwando class. Mm-hmm. And Rex says one thing, and they 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 do a, they purposely have a reaction shot of Napoleon to this statement to show that this is sinking in for Napoleon. If you study with my eight week program, you're gonna learn these things first off. Rex Kwando, we use the buddy system. No more flying solo. You need somebody watching your back at all times. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and Nap- that sunk in for Napoleon. And I think that's the first half of the movie is him realizing, hey, I need backup. I need friends. I need a support system. Yeah. I can't do this on my own anymore. And I think the first half of the, the first maybe 15 minutes of the movie are showing Napoleon as the lone wolf that he is. Mm-hmm. You know, he he plays tetherball by himself. Uh, no one wants to play, you know, hang out with him. Um, and he he kind of pushes everyone away at the same time as a, as a high schooler would, right? Yeah. An angsty high schooler is going to push away the people who are trying to at least, I don't know, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He even pushes Deb away at the beginning. Like their first meeting, like he's rude and mean to Deb. I think it's that kind of phenomenon where kids decide this is their personality. And so uh, they put everything in it, right? Like, so he's like, I'm alone wolves. So uh, I can do everything by myself and um, I don't need friends. And what is a Deb? You know, it's very much like the power of God and anime is on my side. And so when he gets that, um, when that like thing from Rex sinks in, it's like, oh, new identity unlocked. Right. And then, um, I mean, we, we, we get the whole like, you have my back thing that comes back when he's talking to Pedro. Mm-hmm. So me and you are pretty much friends by now, right? Yes. So you got my back and everything? What? Never mind. I think that shows that Napoleon is seeking friendship at that point, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the first half of the movie with the dance is him and Pedro like growing, developing that friendship, developing that support system. And then the second half of the movie is Napoleon acting selfless to help Pedro out. Yeah. Because what is Pedro? What's his big thing at the end of the movie? He wants to be president of the United States. Do you think people will vote for me? Heck yes. I'd vote for you. Like what are my skills? Well, you have a sweet bike, and you're really good at hooking up with chicks. Plus, you're like the only guy at school who has a mustache. That's true. If you need to use any of my skills, I can do whatever you want. Thanks. If I win, you could be my secretary or something. Sweet. Plus, I could be your bodyguard, too. Or like Secret Service Captain or whatever. Okay. Okay. Pedro is definitely not the only person with a mustache at the school. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the end of the movie is Napoleon like acting selflessly to help his friend because mm-hmm. that, that the the movie culminates in the big uh, election because yeah. Pedro's running for class president mm-hmm. and Napoleon has to step in and help him out when when Pedro is at his most uh, insecure. Yeah, because you got to do a, a skit. After you give a speech, like with all elections. And Napoleon just so happened to be learning dance and bettering himself. Mm-hmm. And so he saves Pedro at the end of the day. Yep. It's cute. It's, I think it's a very standard high school comedy story. Yeah. But done in its own way. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's one of Napoleon Dynamite's strengths. Mm-hmm. If you realize, oh, this is a this is a John Hughes movie with like real teenagers. Yeah. You know, or honest teenagers, because John Hughes movies, you look back and like, I think those are too cinematic in a way. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, like they're 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 not 
as true to life as we think they are. Mm-hmm. Napoleon Dynamite, I think, is more true to life, even even for its weirdness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think the way Napoleon acts is how I, in some way, acted in high school. You know, and like in my high school experience, it was more boring days than exciting days. Yeah, and that yeah, that makes this feel a lot more. You said honest, and I think honest is is valid. <laughs> and I definitely think it's way more honest than like the high school dramas that were ha- or high school comedies that were happening at the time, mm-hmm. like like American Pie, for example. Super bad. Super bad. Like those are like fantastical. Mm-hmm. Napoleon Dynamite is way more tame and you know true to life uh, in comparison to those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mean Girls. It's very like, real to life. Everyone in Mean Girls is so like too cool. Yeah. Like they're they're all way too cool to be high school students. <laughs> You know yeah. what I'm saying? No, no, no. I, yeah, 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 yeah. It's very much the Hollywoodification of it in the same way that if you uh, watch any TV shows about uh, teen kids, they all um, are running multi-million dollar corporations. Like, what is this? Yeah. And then I think the movie also, like, as far as character goes, another good person to highlight is Uncle Rico. Mm-hmm. I think the movie does a really decent job of, like, characterizing Uncle Rico. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountains? Yeah, coach would have put me in fourth quarter. We'd have been state champions, no doubt. No doubt in my mind. You better believe things would have been different. I'd have gone pro. In a heartbeat. I'd be making millions of dollars and living in a big old mansion somewhere. You know, soaking it up in a hot tub with my soul. And he brings that up a couple times, like, mm. you know, uh, and I think out of every out of all the characters in this movie, I think this I think the writers did the best job characterizing Uncle Rico as a sad, sad man. He's he, and he he, be, he becomes the villain of the movie yeah. towards the end. Yeah, he does not make good choices. <laughs> no, but it's it's all driven on this, like regret for his life. You know, he, he lives with constant like regret and wishing he could have changed things. Mm hmm. And and that like that uh, manifests in his desire to do what? Start a business. Well, I mean, he does do that. He does start a business. He he sells a uh, Tupperware. Yeah. But no, he he asks Kip about it several times. Oh, he, a time machine. He, he wants money because he wants to build a time machine. Kip, I reckon you know a lot about cyberspace. You, you ever come across anything like time travel? Easy. I've already looked into it for myself. Right on. Right on. And they actually built, they, they buy a time machine on the internet at some point because Uncle Rico is so wrapped up in his regret in life that he wants to go back in time and uh, fix a single football game. <laughs> yeah. He, he wants to live a different life. And I think that humanizes him. Yeah. You know, and I, I that's why I like, I point to him and, and, the other character arcs in the movie and I'm like, no, this movie has heart. This movie is like well-written for as weird and strange as it is. Yeah. There are definitely moving parts that you can, you could see the arcs of different people. Yeah. But the only person who stays exactly the same, true to his roots, Kip. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, uh, Kip, uh, his girlfriend is real and she shows up and uh, he becomes the man he's always wanted to be. Yeah. She gives him confidence. That's it. She does, in fact, as all sugar mamas should. She buys him a gold chains. Mm-hmm. Helps him with his do-rag. <laughs> it's like, don't worry, Napoleon. 
There'll be a hot babe out there for you too. Peace out. <laughs> Such a the lisp. Peace goodness. out. <laughs> hey, hey, hey! I have a lisp too. <laughs> but I think that's all. Like I, I kind of wanted to like highlight about Napoleon Dynamite. I totally recommend this movie. I appreciate it even more now than I did as a as a middle school student. Do you recommend Napoleon Dynamite? Sure. It's not as offensive as I remember it. I don't love it like you do. Um, but it's it's not it's not going yeah watch it i legitimately think you need to give it a chance if you wrote it off way back when you're like that's a dumb movie for dummies yeah there's more there to appreciate yeah maybe you still won't like love it but it won't be as like terrible as when you were younger but what did the world think despite a very limited initial release napoleon dynamite was a huge commercial success grossing over 46 million dollars worldwide Matching its budget over a hundred times. Dang. So, yeah, it, it made so much money for Fox. Stupid amounts of money. Napoleon Dynamite notoriously polarized critics upon release. On one end, Rolling Stone magazine complimented the film, saying, quote, Hess and his terrific cast, Heater is geek perfection, make their own kind of deadpan hilarity. You'll laugh till it hurts. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and the Village Voice praised the film as a, quote, epic magisterially observed pastiche on all American geekhood, flooring the competition with a petulant shove. There's too many words, too many weird big words. On the other side, the likes of Grandpa Ebert felt that, quote, the movie makes no attempt to make Napoleon likable and that it contained, quote, a kind of studied stupidity that sometimes passes for humor. Mm, Fair. And filmjerk.com said, you know, up to the, you know, they living up to their name. They said, quote, it's an empty, affected experience and a five-minute joke stretched out to 85 in the most soul-sucking, higher power questioning minutes found in a movie this year. That that was a lot. They felt a lot. The film's reception inspired the quote, Napoleon Dynamite problem. The phenomenon where quirky Films such as Napoleon Dynamite, Lost in Translations, and I Heart Huckabees proved difficult for researchers to create algorithms for that were able to predict whether or not a particular viewer will like the film based on their ratings in previously viewed films. Yeah. So Netflix has trouble recommending Napoleon Dynamite to people because they don't know if they'd like it or not. So they just put it on everything. <laughs> Napoleon Dynamite won three MTV Movie Awards for Breakthrough, Male Performance, Best Musical Performance, and Best Movie. There you go. Who was the music performance? Maybe uh, his dance. Oh, okay. I don't know. And it won four Teen Choice Awards. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. For Choice Movie, Female Breakout Star for Haley Duff. Okay. Choice Movie, Dance Scene. Choice Movie, Hissy Fit for John Heater. Okay. And Choice Movie, Comedy. Weird. Yeah. All right. The film also won the 2004 Film Discovery Jury Award for Best Feature, the 2005 Golden Trailer Awards for Best Comedy, and the 2005 Golden Satellite Award for Best Original Score. It it did the job. It did. What of the legacy of Napoleon Dynamite? There's actually some here. Napoleon Dynamite spawned a slew of merchandise, including a soundtrack, album, clothing, Halloween costumes, refrigerator magnets, and a video game adaptation for the Nintendo DS and PlayStation Portable. Clothing? Oh, yeah. You never had a vote for Pedro t-shirt? No. Or like Liger? You no. You get the Liger drawing on your t-shirt? Why would I want those? I didn't like this movie, but okay. That's fine. And yeah, there was a PSP game, Napoleon Dynamite. Mini games. <laughs> it, I'm sure it sucked. I'm sure it sucked. 
For several years, the city of Preston, Idaho held a Napoleon Dynamite Festival in the summer. Featured festival events included a tetherball tournament, tater tot eating contest, moon boot dance, impersonations, a lookalike contest, football throwing contest, and more. Some of those sound fun. Yeah. The tetherball thing sounds fun. I feel like it would be fun to go down to Preston and see where this movie was made. Yeah, you would feel that way. But I think they no longer do the festival. They don't, but you can still go to Preston, Idaho. They're, they no longer have a Preston, Idaho. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> they call it Napoleon Dynamite, Idaho. An animated television series based on Napoleon Dynamite debuted on Fox in 2012. Way too late, in my opinion. Way too late. They 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 missed the way they missed the wave. Yeah. If they had made a Family Guy style Napoleon Dynamite show in 2006, for example, mm-hmm. it probably would have been a bigger hit. Yeah. But the the TV show did have the involvement of Jared and Jerusha Hess and most of the original cast. Hmm. The series was canceled after just six episodes. Well. I yeah. watched the first episode because I, I did like Napoleon Dynamite and I did not like the show at all. <laughs> it's too fam like it is too family guy. It's not as slow and, you know, down to earth as the movie is. It's it's just random and fast and mm-hmm. you know, feel like it's it's too much a TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. In twenty fourteen, the film was screened at the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences in Los Angeles to celebrate its tenth anniversary. In addition, a bronze statue of Napoleon Dynamite, complete with tetherball, was placed on the 20th Century Fox studio lot. It's a little, it's a little much. I wonder why, I wonder if we could take a picture of that, that statue. It's a little much. And finally, murmurs of a Napoleon Dynamite sequel have emerged the past couple years, with Heater calling the project inevitable. No, you know, it does not have to be inevitable. I think they asked Efren Ramirez what he would want to see in a sequel, and he said... He'd want to see uh, Kip actually be a cage fighter. <laughs> like he, he's LaFonda helped him realize his dream of becoming a cage fighter. That's fair. That that would be something. But I would watch that as a YouTube short. Thank you. And then like John Heater said, like he'd imagine the sequel to be darker than the original. I don't know what that means. It's all shot day for night. Oh, God. <laughs> well, that's Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. I recommend it. You tacitly recommend it. Yeah. <laughs> but whose movie was better? Mine. Mine. I'm going to be honest with you. I legitimately think Napoleon Dynamite's a better movie. Mm. I, I, I I understand I'm going to get some flack for that. I think that's true. You're getting flack from the side of the table. And that's okay. <laughs> I think Napoleon comes a better, comes together better as a as a full product. That I can. It's more fun to watch. I'd watch this movie over and over and over again. Spanglish is too hard to watch. Wow, I completely disagree and feel the same way about Spanglish. Like, I can and have watched this movie over and over again. I think it comes together way more, even with all the small pieces that are like, oh, why is this here? It makes more sense. Yep. Uh, no, I disagree with you. We're all definitely right. bringing this to the kids. I think this, yeah, yeah. yeah. The kids are going to choose yours. They're going to be wrong, but. All right. So help us decide. Help us settle the score in our polls on Twitter, on Instagram, at Medium Aid Show. What's next? We got runners up? Yep, we got runners up. We're going to run through them very quickly. Um, For you, uh, we had talked about this. If we had not been watching uh, Napoleon Dynamite, we could have been watching another. We could have had a a double Sandler feature with 51st Dates. Yeah, imagine that. Sandler (laughs) Fest. Oh, man. The Sandler episode. 51st Dates. It's good. It's good. I, I haven't seen it recently, but I remember like it's got more heart than than Happy Gilmore or uh Billy Madison, yeah. you know, it's not as juvenile. It yeah. is juvenile, but it's not as juvenile. <laughs> it's got a uh, Drew Barrymore. 
Uh, we also could have watched uh, something a little more juvenile, juvenile Shrek 2. Oh, it's very juvenile. <laughs> but like, just like Shrek, like you couldn't avoid it. It was everywhere. We, we watched it in the theater. We got it on DVD. My, my little sister watched Again, I was like, this was at the time when I was transitioning away from uh, kids movies, mm-hmm. you know? So I didn't watch it on DVD quite as much as my sister did. But this is one of those kids movies from that year where I was, I was indeed watching it a lot. Yeah. yeah, I think it's funny because you said it was unavoidable. And I was like, I've never seen this movie in my really? life ever. It was very avoidable. Wow. I was in high school, though, so I get to make my own decisions and had my own room. I didn't have to watch what my sisters watched. We could have been watching Kill Bill Volume 2. There you go. Kill Bill. Uh, the lesser of the Kill Bills, but uh, it's still fun. Yeah. David Carradine rocks in that movie. <laughs> like literally like that that's some of the best scenes in the movie is just yeah. Jer- david carradine sitting at a campfire telling a story yeah it's so good um don't worry kids we will we will get tarantino on this podcast you don't have to worry about it yep um uh we also could have been doing spider-man 2 spider-man 2 with uh, dr octopus that was another movie inevitable everyone was watching it yeah, I saw it. It was like the first movie was such a big hit. Like everyone was waiting for the sequel. And so like, I'm pretty sure I watched this opening weekend. Oh, wow. Yeah. I don't feel like I've ever seen a movie opening weekend. Uh, and then we also have National Treasure. I like that movie. I know you do. I was like, I, I will go to bat for that movie. Like it's it's a fun adventure movie. Nicolas Cage is fun. <laughs> I don't think I've ever watched it all the way through. It's stupid. Like it's an, it's very stupid. Like they steal the Declaration of Independence, but it's a fun adventure heist movie that like, you know, it's a little bit Indiana Jones, little bit of Ocean's 11. You're going to say Oceans. You just like heists. Yeah. You're and and that that guy. scene where he he sneaks into the he goes to like the archives gala, you mm. know, in in James Bond fashion almost, you know, and and steals the Declaration of Independence while they're having a party upstairs. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. <laughs> Um, and that was it for you. For me, if we weren't watching Spanglish, we could have been watching Dodgeball, which I really is the only movie with Ben, ben, Stiller, ben Stiller that I'm able to watch. I, I can't. I do not like Ben Stiller movies. I haven't watched The Secret Life of Mitty McSchmitty, but I hear that's probably OK. Uh, he makes me so uncomfortable. He is so much like humor that he tears himself down in such like. The the secondhand embarrassment is a physical thing. I feel I cannot get through them. But this I, I, is um, a Vince Vaughn movie, and I'm fine with that. I watched that. Yeah, I watched that in the theater when that came out. You know, and it was it's fun. It's fun. Yeah, I like the pirate. <laughs> <laughs> Our oh, of course you do. It's Alan to Duck. Stephen the pi- is a Steve the pirate. <laughs> it is, and everyone loved. There's no bad role for Alan. I love that man. Um, we also could have been watching the Debs, which is an LGBT movie. <laughs> I, yeah, I've never seen it. It's okay. I've, the poster I, looks very 2000s. Though. I'm not going to say it's good because it's been a while since I've watched it. But I think recently going through these lists, I was like, dude, I watched a lot of LGBT stuff growing up. I LGBTQ plus AI. There's a lot of let. I watched a lot of Alphabet Mafia stuff growing up. <laughs> uh, and that's that was my, my runners up. I still wasn't really watching very much this year. There you go. But yeah, it would have been fun to watch Dodgeball. And that brings us to the end of our show. If you like what we're doing, you can do a few things for us. You can, uh, one, you can donate to us. You can give us money on coffee.com. <laughs> That's ko-fi.com slash mediamate. 
Or you could find me on the streets and hand me a 20. That too. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the show, you know, it could help us out. You know, we're uh, we're doing okay, but, you know, it'll be nice. Yeah. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at Media Mate Show. You can leave reviews on that podcast platform of choice. You can uh, subscribe, honestly. That also helps. Yeah. You can tell us on Twitter and on Instagram what your movie of 2004 was even. Mm-hmm. As for me, you can follow me personally on Twitter at Rod the Master as long as Twitter exists. Um... <laughs> Don't find me on threads. I'm not there. Yeah. I write for a video game website called ZeldaDungeon.net. So if you like The Legend of Zelda, if you're playing Tears of the Kingdom, you can check out our stuff there. I host a YouTube show about professional wrestling called Keep Kayfabe. That's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. And that's all I got. What do you got? Um, I do nothing. But occasionally I upload videos to YouTube. My YouTube channel is TV Tales. You can see stuff there. <laughs> all right. And uh, we're going to close the show out. With, a, with an 80s classic, because I feel like uh, Napoleon Dynamite, in a lot of ways, is also a riff on the 80s high school movies of the mm-hmm. past. So the song uh, The Promise by When in Rome closes out Napoleon Dynamite, and it's a fantastic song. Uh, I get emotional listening to it sometimes. Uh, and so we're going to close out with that. And we'll be back next time with our music, 2004. And remember, kids, if you want to be strong like a bat, fast like a capybara, and wise like a man... You gotta study my class for eight weeks and you will be cool like a grandma. That's right, 1 800 Jess Kwando. Kip, listen. What? Tonight, me and your aunt are going to go visit some friends, and we're not going to be back till tomorrow. We're getting a little low on steak, so I got Lyle coming over tomorrow to take care of it. Well, what's there to eat? Knock it off, Napoleon. Make yourself a dang quesadilla.